0: The white smoke has come up from the Tri Cities, and we have a new manager at the helm for the Valley Cats and for several other teams. Lots of news going down this week on the Indie Ball Report podcast. 249, that's the number of episodes this is. We have an interview again today. That's pretty cool. Uh, Tri-City has a new manager. Stan Island has a new manager. Um, we ran out of chowder, so we feel like we've been knocked out. And the Chargers also feel like they've been knocked out because currently they're down 42 nothing at the half. Hi, Ryan. This is an Indie Ball show.
1: Yeah, we are recording pre-Chargers comeback. So uh, <laughs> pre-chargers for everybody... Come- Congratulations to Easton Stick on, uh, going stick deep on the second half there. Um, yeah, uh, got an exciting interview, man. I'm pretty hyped about it. Yeah. Oakland baseball and not in the sort of depressing way that people have been talking Oakland baseball for the past several years. So that's fun. We're on like the cutting edge of podcasts doing that.
2: I mean, really?
0: Yeah. We're going to be positive about. The Oakland Ballers and Oakland Baseball as a whole. Tyler Pearson, the assistant GM, jumped on the show. That's about about an hour and 20-minute long interview there. I still got to just clean that up and edit it down a little bit. But all in all, it was a solid interview. Really enjoyed it. You guys will like hearing it once we get through the news here first. But speaking of news, we got managerial hires. And I think the first one we're going to talk about is probably not the most interesting one but it's also probably the better of the two, right?
1: Well, yes. And I am on a side note, just to say, I love any time that you like reference how long an interview is before doing the editing so that everyone listening can actually compare if they want and see how much dumb stuff they had to cut out from us just like messing around. Um, So, yeah, but I would agree. And I would say maybe, I don't know if you said like, not, it's not like super exciting or whatever. I think, I'm kind of excited about it because I think it's an organization that really needs to get this right now. <laughs> so that that's, uh I think this is, hmm. I, I, there's a word for it that I can't quite place, but it was definitely, i call it consequential, I think. I think it's fair to say, at least in any ball circles.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty fair.
1: Dancing around it because neither of us are saying who it is. It's the Mark Malikazi going to Staten Island, I would assume is the one you're talking about.
0: Yes, that's actually it. So I'm back on track here. And, uh, yeah, no, talking about Mark, uh, I mean, I feel like this guy got some bad luck in that he keeps going to, like, either one-and-done organizations or not the most stable situations. I will say, I feel like Stan Island's starting to figure it out. Year one, obviously, not good at all. Year two got better. There was moments where you are like, there's hope here. And now maybe... Mark gets to, you know, be on a team that probably will exist the following year. He'll be able to bring in some of his guys. He'll be able to do a little bit more work with it. And all in all, I think it's a pretty solid hire when you consider Stan Island. At a certain point, you got to become realistic about what your current state is. And in their current state, I think Mark is probably the best they were going to do. And I don't mean that in any sort of a negative way because he is a good manager. It's just you were never going to get like the guys that we think of as the top tier guys, the top tier options that would have been out there. You're not getting that. So you have to kind of go down to the still good managers, but not top tier guys. And I feel like of the guys in that grouping available, Mark is probably the best of them. So,
1: Yeah, and and for those who... Need a refresher. I haven't been sort of following along with the Mark Minakazi journey. Uh, that was 2021 and he was the Charleston manager. And then 2022 went to Lexington to manage the genomes. Uh, at the time, the, the presumption, uh, you know, was that he would take over Lexington the year after managing the genomes. Um, that's a whole other can of worms. But then Andy left Lexington. Andy Shea did the owner who was at the time, longtime friends with Mark, uh, and then the genomes weren't coming back, so he was out of job again, went to what was Frederick, and then became Spire City, and then Spire City was on hiatus this year, so now that is what leads us to this point. Uh, what's your what's your sort of immediate vibe on this? Because he's had, I would call, a mixed bag of results, and I think a lot of that depends on the organization and things like that. He's seen, He's been bringing a lot of similar, or a, a very similar roster uh, with a lot of familiar faces. At all these new stops too so we kind of know what the blueprint is but what's your what's your feel for this for Staten island
0: from a Staten island perspective i honestly get the sense of that this is probably a little bit more on a stability side i think they really haven't had that and while yeah he's going to bring in the same guys and we saw that had i think fairly safe to say mixed results last year probably more on the not great side I still kind of like it a bit better. I think it's a division where with those guys, maybe they have a better chance of getting in that first half, just because we know second half will be Lancaster. It always seems to be. So, second half Stormers is a thing. First half, obviously, you're going to be battling Long Island, which is arguably where they're at their strongest, seeing as you know they have the slow guys that will eventually get signed, but they'll still have April and May with them before they get picked up. So they'll have to fight that off, they'll have to fight York off, uh, some other competition in there as well, but just generally speaking, I think as a competitive perspective, they have probably the best shot they've had in a long time, If for no other reason than they have a guy that's done this before, which is more than you can say about Fonzie and Bush, although I still think Bush was a notable upgrade, but then again, maybe it was just that uh, Fonzie was that bad, so... Uh, as far as organizationally, I think it means that we're creeping closer to getting it right. Now, whether it, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's going to stay that way, whether that this is where we're going to stop making improvements at, I don't know, but, um, it, we're getting closer to the right answer.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it felt like some things definitely went right with Homer Bush. Um, I was, we're going to, pretty highly of homer bush uh and his work last year with staten island um honestly sort of over the past couple weeks i've talked to a lot more people about it because i thought it was interesting that he would not be returning it sounds like it was a mutual thing and the more i hear about the more i'm like well maybe it was the people around homer bush that were carrying a lot of it which is not a bad thing because they're the ones staying in place so um hopefully they can keep the positives and continue to go with like an experienced indie ball manager who can um Certainly has a ton of roster building experience at this point because he yeah. keeps having to build from just about nothing. So this is a massive head start for him. Um the the roster pieces sort of come together with Staten Island last year. It looked really ugly early, and we've talked about how they kind of picked up steam as they went. So um yeah, I think they need they need a good year. Um I fan support's been I, I think Shaky. Uh, every time I say anything other than like something positive about the fan support in staten island i I get some dm with like well actually yeah hey bud we got the numbers and it looks bad (laughs) um so they need they need a good year and they need to show that area i think that they're a legitimate team that is serious (laughs) both on and off the field so uh yeah they this is one they need to get right i think mark is probably hard of bouncing around, I don't know if Staten Island is his long-term plan, but it is definitely one where like he needs to show like I'm not sure he needs to
0: show anything. I mean, this is he's been in. Yeah, I think we know kind of what
1: he's years, what but, he's doing now. Yeah, but it's an opportunity for him to maybe control his own destiny, which is nice. Yeah. Does um, ever since I mean he did choose to make the Lexington move because he went from an Andy one Andy Shading to the other and sort of a pre-planned maneuver, um, but that was basically. Other than that, he's just been kind of riding the wave, so uh, I think it would be good for him to have a good year, feel like he can kind of decide, like, do I want to come back to this role? Do I want to, like, have my pick of the litter when it comes to other jobs, or whatever? Um Yeah, a- and also, I mean, I don't know what the time frame looked like, but uh, the the Sparta City thing was weird that how that went, because my initial instinct was, like, damn, Mark kind of got screwed, because it was kind of late in the game that they said, oh, City City's going on a hiatus, and then now you're on the job market, but what it sounds like is he knew that, and that's what made some of the, the roster moves around that weird, but we're not going to go to that can of worms right now, or are we Long Island?
0: You're really on the roster moves in this league until the last couple of months, aren't you? I need therapy. But, yeah, no, I think it's a, a step in the right direction for uh, Stan Island. So, overall, if you were to grade this Mark Minikoski higher on oh, what would we grade it?
1: Oh. Damn. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. Just after we finished talking about how he got me mm, in trouble two weeks ago, I'm about to do it again.
1: I'll go a, a B for Staten Island. And, and that's mainly.
0: Okay. We agree on the B.
1: I feel like.
2: Yeah.
1: I think a B. And I think it could have been higher, except I do think it's an organization that really could have used some consistency by not switching over managers. Uh, but it is mm. somebody who is used to walking into a dumpster fire. And it is a dumpster fire in Staten Island. However, However dumpster fire that is definitely on its way to clean up from all I hear. So that is not me bearing Staten Island. It's just speaking the facts and saying you're on your way. Just keep the momentum going.
0: I agree with the B. I agree for a lot of the reasons you said where ideally you would clean it up by keeping the same guy year after year. That said, I'm kind of okay with going to Minakazi for the reasons you mentioned. He's used to walking to dumpster fires and situations that need to be cleaned up. As well, he is a bit of an upgrade in the fact he knows Indie Ball a little bit better and oh, it sounds yeah. like he can do a bit more. And realistically, I think the performance will be kind of on par from the guys. And if you can have the same face there for two, three, four, five years, I think it's a worthwhile decision to make that switch. So I think it's a solid B2. This the,
1: yeah, this is the best manager they've had. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that.
0: Yeah, definitely. From a Minikazi perspective, what do you rate this?
1: Oh, Um C. C. And that's still an Atlantic League job. It's one with upper potential. It's one where you can look like the hero. And... One where it seems to be on the upswing right now, as opposed to the last few jobs that he's grabbed. And it's a pre-existing team, essentially, which nothing has been. Uh, Charleston in their first year in the Atlantic League, Genomes, Spire City. So literally, yeah, it's a pre-existing team. So that's a huge win for him. But, you know, there's easier challenges, you know. Obviously, if you could have his pick, I'm not sure this was the organization. But, hey, I I think he can make something of it. So, yeah, I think that's about where it stacks up.
0: You know, I give it a little bit higher than that. I give it like a B minus.
1: I was just thinking maybe a C plus actually. Yeah. As Uh, as I was like, damn, all that. I just listed a bunch of positives just to be like, it's a C. (laughs) It sounds like me trying to spin a C coming back home from school.
0: Any case. uh, Yeah, I give it a B minus (laughs) for no other reason than I honestly think it's a decent gig. I think it's an organization that if they get their their act together, it could be a very solid one. It's a market where I think if you can have success, you have some real good stability there. Like you mentioned, it's existed for the past two years, so I think they're likely to exist for beyond just this year. Maybe not in the Atlantic League, but still existing matters for something. And beyond that, I feel like it's... Not the worst thing in the world. I think you could definitely make something happen here. So I think it's a B minus. Like you said, it's not like a gold standard position. It's not Long Island. It's not, say, York or Lancaster. But it's far from the worst spot to land in the league.
1: So to recap, I just try to give it like a C, C minus, and then list it a bunch of positives. You give it like a B, B minus, and we're just like, not the worst thing in the world. We suck at this. Hey, anyway, we should continue.
0: That's what happens. If you see a B-minus or a C-plus on a paper, you're like, not the worst. This is good.
1: Hey, as I, as we just went over, that's pretty good for me.
0: <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the other managerial hiring. That would be Greg Taggart to the Tri-City Valley Cats. Uh, he will take over for Pete Cavillia. Obviously, we know Greg from his time in the American Association with Winnipeg in 2023 and Gary from 2005 to 2001. There was that one-year gap in 22 where he's with the Giants organization. Uh, but he has had some time in the Frontier League in the past from 1995 to 2004. There was one year in there where he was. And he was in the Prairie League, I think is actually what it was called. It doesn't matter. It lasted one year, and that's what you need to know.
1: That sounds mad disparaging. Some Prairie League jesus hey
0: if you look it up it actually is the prairie league so hey
1: no i feel you it's just boy does, when you say like real dismissive It's like the team disbanded boy is that mid-90s any buff where um the Brainerd <laughs> Bobcats. goodness that was one i missed when i was reviewing the resume so what are your thoughts
0: positives has a 526 winning percentage that's good Three league championships, mm-hmm. also positive. Thirteen hundred plus wins. Obviously good. Another positive from this is it's a two-year contract with an option for a third year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. That's all um, I <laughs> like I uh yeah. when yeah. I saw it on um, Sunday, I was just like, okay. I think my exact quote tweet on it was Oh, just
1: that's a choice. Yeah. Um,
0: Lace them up, gentlemen.
1: I would say I'm trying to, I'm trying to background my feelings on this as well. Um, for reference, my feelings start with the expectation of what Tri-City had cooking because they had high, high standards on who they even interviewed, who they showed interest in a couple of people who we expected to be high on the list, uh, experienced indie ball guys with success. Um, did not even get interviews or have real interest, uh, shown their way. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like, all right, looking for like an MLB type of guy looking for a big name. Um, and especially with like the long break, like basically, I mean, the coaching carousel stopped spinning (laughs) essentially. Um, So it's, the expectation was pretty high on what they were going to roll up with. And then, uh, going Greg Taggart, like, look, we see what they like. They like the experience. Um, everybody references the experience, but my, the face value concerns I have are the fact that it's been four, well, three years without making uh, a playoff. Came in 10th in the American Association in 2021, uh, 11th in 2023. Um, Obviously, the Giants didn't like something in the middle there. And didn't make the playoffs in 2019. So, it's been six years since he successfully managed an Ball team to a winning record. Um Beyond that, and I will preface this by saying, on the podcast, I'll occasionally chirp somebody, but like, with the takeaway of like, hey, everyone's got some positives. Um, Twitter, you know me, I'll call out an organization, I'll call out a league, but I will rarely ever call out individual employees and baseball personnel because mm. I am saddled with the awareness of how fragile our jobs are. Part of being personal experience, part of that just having friends lose jobs, having friends uh, see friends lose jobs. It, it is something I stay Cognizant of, and especially when somebody I don't know personally, I'm very aware. I, uh, John Boy Media said something the other day on one of their pods. I was like, it's like literally a rule there, which is don't burn a bridge before you build it. So like, I'm very cautious with the things I say. Like I'll put out, you know, negatives about something, but I'll preface it with like, look, it doesn't mean anything. Like we'll see. This was probably the only time I have just openly been like, that's a bad decision about somebody getting a job. And that is based on not only the on-field performance, but the sheer number of unprompted messages. I've had and unprompted comments within conversations over the past two years that I would say over a dozen individuals have been like, yeah, don't work with Taggart from the, the style of operating the control style, the, way he interacts with other teams, the attitude he has, uh, about himself and about others, the, the feel of, uh, sort of an entitlement, I guess would be a good way to say it. Um, and, and, genuine, gen, generally we have been over the conversation about what is a manager's role, especially in indie ball, uh, and how in baseball it's really changed to being very much clubhouse management and how, like, it sounds dumb, but by all accounts, he's just not for the boys, like, the guys don't vibe with them well. Um, lace them up, getting the boys running. Like it's just not an attitude that is befitting of a professional manager these days. And to see Tri-City, who is an organization you and I have so recently spoken highly of. And as like the, the city on the hill when it comes to like well-run indie organizations, this is one of those decisions that makes you step back and go, Oh, that's right. They haven't been doing this very long. Like they are still apt to make a real bad decision. And look, this could turn out. Um, maybe the, the debacle that was the season of Winnipeg will be a wake-up call. But uh, So he, things might change. It might run totally differently. But boy, did this one go, okay, take the under on all the win-loss things on Tri-City. Like This could be a year. This could be a real learning experience for everyone involved.
0: I'll get serious on my actual... Thoughts on this. And like, again, I understand, and I'm going to echo a lot of what Ryan just said in the sense of, like, over that roughly the same amount of time, maybe a little bit less of the time, I talked to a lot of guys that were in Gary at the same time Taggart was there. And I talked to some Winnipeg guys recently. I won't mention who. And like, it was a mixture of, it's an experience playing for them or playing for him to just, you know, it's baseball. Yeah, I'm happy to play. And it's, it was never like, it was an enjoyable experience to be under him. And like the, the comment about running too, like that's one of the things I heard too, where like you'd have, and this is no secret because I'm sure you've had dozens of players tell you the same thing I have, which is like, he'd have even pitchers running an awful lot. And it wouldn't be just like, oh, well they'll run in like spring training or anything like, no, no, throughout the year. And it's like, well, first off, pitchers don't need to run. Like they're not doing anything like that they're yeah you need to field your position but that doesn't really mean run so i'm not sure why they're doing that not spending more time actually like working on mechanics and like trying to hit their spots maybe working on their pitches and
1: arm maintenance arm health it's 2023 all cardio and fitness should be done away from the team
0: yeah like that's the thing too like i'm cool with doing like some cardio work i'm cool with doing like stamina work and stuff for certain position groups but even then, like, baseball is not really a sport where you're constantly going, right? It's more, it's it's kind of like the sport of the army in the sense of where it's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. Where you have to be ready for the moment where all chaos breaks loose. So it's more about explosiveness than actual speed, for example. So yeah, I need my center fielder, for example, to be extremely athletic. I need my shortstop to be extremely athletic. But you're never really going that far. It's not like a sport like, say, football, where, yeah, I want my receivers to be able to stay out on the field for, like, the whole series. I don't want them having to come off for two or three plays at a clip because I'm taking a weapon off the field. It's not a sport like hockey where it's like, yeah, there's a good chance you're going to get caught on the ice for, like, a 90-second shift when ideally they're 30 to 40 seconds. So you need to be able to go up and down the ice like that. Baseball's not that same kind of sport. It's more of a, you know, turn-based sport where, again, it's like, be ready to go at the drop of a hat, but I don't need you going the whole game. There's going to be moments in between where you're going to get that chance to rest and ease up and control the pace. Not as much with the pitch clock anymore, but still, it's not that same kind of constant flurry of action. So that whole method doesn't make much sense to me. Like, I don't think it's as high where you just go, why would they do that? Because you can see why that is. Like, even despite the fact that since 2018, or really 2019 on, yeah, it's been rough. A 40-win season, a 39-win season, and a 43-win season. Not really inspiring a lot of confidence. But if you look at it beforehand, you have a 59-win season, a 57-win season, a 52-win season before you get to the first losing season which is only 10 games under 500 which admittedly not good but it's also not terrible not even 10 games under 500 five games under 500 my mistake and then you got to go all the way back to let's see when was this last losing season before or after that really it got to go back a ways so into the 90s if i'm Reading the baseball reference correctly, and I'm not missing something. He had a non winning season in 2012 and then followed up with a championship in 13. So like I get it on paper, if you just look at it like won a lot of games, he's had three really bad seasons, but even still has a pretty sizable win to loss record, then yeah, like it makes sense in that regard. But I kind of view it in the way of You can be a good coach for a long time, and you can be an experienced coach, which is what I assume was the driving point behind this hire, was that he's an experienced guy. He's been doing it for 27-plus years. He knows what he's doing. But, like, there's an expiration date on experience to a certain degree in that (laughs) the way your career starts and the winning process early on in your career may not be the same at the very end. I remember watching a whole, like, series on uh, Coach K, for example, and it became very clear right around the mid-20-teens that the same system that worked in the 90s and the aughts was not going to work anymore, so you had to take a different approach to coaching these newer players. And it feels like Taggart's in this position where he's never really changed that approach because it's always worked, so it'll work again. And it's like, guys are not really going to do that anymore. And especially not in a time where you have a lot of other viable options in Ball to go to. And it feels like the excuses you could make for the past losing seasons don't really work going forward anymore, right? Because in 2019, you could say, hey, he came off of two, three strong seasons. He's only like six years removed from a championship. And we're also in Gary. That's a hard place to recruit to, you know you get a losing season every once in a while. Then 21, you can kind of say like, okay, there's a pandemic effect still. You have all kind of funky travel. It's hard to really see players in person. Again, you can make excuses there. Then 22, he goes to the Giants. 23, he comes back. And it's like, okay, well, look, it got better. And, you know, it's his first year in Winnipeg. There's a learning experience there. A Canada effect, although I really think that isn't much of an effect, to be quite honest. And overall, like, you can start making some excuses here, but I just... I get the sense of from what I've heard from players and what I've heard from people in the know, that it's like... It's not the hire to make, right? And I always like to point out like this. Like, we know the kind of indie ball people and the whole baseball, like, ecosystem guys that we follow and I assume the sickos that listen to this show follow a decent Hmm. amount of the same people, how many people have you seen come out that are in this sphere and openly praise this hire? Mm -hmm. And I think that's indicative of something. And also, last point before I I, I'll pipe down for a while, which is we all kind of, like, when we think of, like, really well-ran organizations... We all kind of like overlook Winnipeg, despite the fact that Winnipeg is really well ran. Like they are extremely well done more often than not. And they've been around for a very long time. And if we're being honest, being the only Canadian team in the league, like granted has a team in Fargo, North Dakota, so it's not that far. But still, being the only Canadian team kind of isolates you a bit. And they've had to go through a little bit of an up and down, but they've had a ballpark built for them in the center of Winnipeg. Like, that's a notable accomplishment for an indie ball team. And by all accounts, they are well-ran. I know any dealings I've had with them, they're well-ran. So, you look at it all like that, if a well-ran organization like Winnipeg is willing to say, you know what, we're good after one year... I feel like that should say something, right? Where they, more than anybody else, would know what Greg Tacker's about, having been in a league with him for about 15 years. You would think they'd be the ones that would say, like, okay, we know his whole deal, and, like, we'll get the results if we think it's there still. But then once they saw it up close, they were like, no, this just isn't going to work. And then decided to cut bait and go to Logan Watkins instead. So...
1: Yeah, I mean, with all that track record, to have one losing season and then be like, "Okay, we're out," is something that like doesn't.
0: It's a red it, flag.
1: Yes, and um, yeah, I would say because, yeah, I mean, talked about the the running thing a bit, and I just want mm-hmm. to sort of circle back to justify some of that because, like, it's like, okay, it's a lot to like
2: yeah.
1: obsess over. Having to go for runs, like calm it down here, like, yeah, like doing two high, days for high, high, high school, high school high. football, but like yeah. what the what the main crux of the matter is there is like it is a long season. There's a lot of long bus rides. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of time where your rest is limited or it isn't quality. Uh, it's a lot of time at stadiums, at ball fields, all that. So whenever you see a manager still with professional ball players pulling cardio out it's like, is that how we're choosing to spend our time right now? Uh, with the assumption being that, yeah, cardio should be done on your own time, like yeah. during the season, before the season, you like, should be in shape seasons. like that. Yeah. It's a basic show your shape. It's not college guys. Yeah. Th- these are professionals. And we saw that in Staten Island with, uh, Alfonso. Like we've, we've seen a couple other things cited as number one wearing. I saw it in Lexington this past year. Um, still haven't heard what their coaching situation is, yeah. but it's, something that always it it's one of those things where uh if i'm having a quick conversation and this is happening on numerous occasions and somebody like in the know like we're just like at something like a an event or just quick chat whatever and somebody wants maybe doesn't want to say everything but or doesn't have time to say everything but you know someone comes up to be like yeah i had the boys out doing polls like it's like, hey, what's up with uh, Alfonso up in Staten Island? Way back a couple years ago, yeah. Uh, and people were like, "Well, yeah, you know, had the boys outrun some bulls." It's like, okay, yeah, like, got it, you yeah, know, like, uh, understood completely how the clubhouse works. Um It's just something to keep in mind. That's we're not sitting here and be like, he made the guys run. He doesn't deserve a job. That is crazy. What it is is that that is a a prime and loud symptom of a bigger thing, which I think uh Winnipeg probably witnessed firsthand this year. And I think Tri-City might be about to witness as well. Yeah, The, and, the number of organizations who have made hires and have openly said to me, like, he wasn't even on our list, is eye-opening. Yeah, and the thing and is, dude, too. This is a rough, rough segment. <laughs> I mean, like,
0: it's a little bit piley, but, I mean, it, we are discussing the crux of the point here, which is, it's a questionable hire at best. I mean, look at the team he had in Winnipeg this year. You had a reigning MVP in Max Murphy, who still had a good year, but not a great year. And, well, power perspective, he had a great year. If you go by batting average, he didn't have a great year, though, but, you know. Any case, Jason Cruz was there as a 23-year-old rookie, had a very, very strong year in the American Association. Brian Martinez looked okay, but not, you know, what you'd love to see there. And then it kind of drops off a bit from there. But overall, you still had a solid enough team that they should have contended for longer than they did from a pitching perspective. They weren't, they weren't deep, but they had some guys here, enough guys to that again, they should have hung around a bit longer, at least in my opinion. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like. Winnipeg was a team that was destined for the playoffs. And because of Greg, they didn't make it. No, that wasn't the case. This was not a playoff team in a league where, you know, 80% of the teams make the postseason, but still there were good players on that team and they should have done better than a 43 win season. They shouldn't have been yeah. what the second, third worst team in the league. Like. Yeah, second worst. And Gary, honestly, I feel like Gary was better than their record says. Even still, it was a noticeable gap there. So, to me at least, it, it again, I understand his appeal to Hiram. It just feels like there had to have been better options. And when Tri-City, an organization that we spoke highly of, comes out and it's like, We want a guy with MLB experience. We want a guy that is an experienced indie ball dude that's going to be here for a while. To then turn around and say, yeah, Greg Taggart, without really any MLB experience outside of that, like, 55-game stretch with the Giants in 2022, and we're going to count that as MLB, which I don't really think that's how that works is our guy, it's a bit underwhelming. From the way they were talking it up, going into it, it almost feels like they were planning on going like, all right, we'll go get Backman now that he's open. And then something came up with that to where it fell through. And then they said, okay, well, we need to figure out something here. And Greg was the next best choice on the list.
2: Yeah,
1: that's kind of the vibe.
0: And I also find it kind of interesting. You have a San Francisco State grad who is from uh, California. And the most recent indie ball team in California chose to go with an ex-major league or two. That's just kind of interesting to me. Now, I don't know how close like really Greg was in the consideration. I don't think you'd want to go to the Pioneer League. But I just find that kind of interesting. You have a Bay Area dude that doesn't go to the team that's built for the Bay. But who knows? Maybe. Yeah.
1: I-, I did not make that series of connections, honestly. So that was, yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you for putting some of that together there. Yeah. I-, I was just like, oh.
0: Also, not to mention, he's actually his hometown is between the Bay Area and Sacramento, both of where the two Pioneer League teams are going. So hmm. just saying, like, maybe that's like just trying to find stuff now. Which, if that was the case, then yeah, I, I'd i own that. that. Maybe I'm stretching it out a little bit. But, even still, I, I just find that to be a curious little oddity. So, yeah. That being said, let's try and just wrap that really quick. Because all we have is... Well, we have two other pieces that we'll get to quickly. But, uh, let's try to just wrap it with a positive spin here before we go on to those last two pieces. So, overall, though, I do think... While there is a lot to be concerned about, the experience is a factor here. I think that, well, I may not have the highest (laughs) expectations going in. I think Tri-City still could be a playoff team, if for no other reason than the virtue of their division. Because realistically, look at the division right now, and tell me which three teams are making the postseason.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Quebec, obviously. We don't even know the rosters yet, but we know Quebec will be there.
1: Yeah, you got to assume Jackals aren't making a return trip at this point. And yeah. obviously, I have some limited faith in Sussex County because they seem like a bit of a mess already.
0: Exactly. You have New England that we're going to talk about in a minute. That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Three rivers that. Oh, have- yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you got the
1: yeah. Boulders. Boulders could the yeah, boulders, could, boulders claim, could, could take the opportunity here yeah. uh, if they're they better <laughs> if I'm them they better make a move.
0: Yeah, I trust Tuve, Stanton, and all of the player procurement development guys there. I I trust them to get it done. Mm-hmm. So that's either yeah, that's two spots right there. That really means like okay, we ruled out Sussex, so it means that last spots a fight between Tri City and Ottawa.
1: Yeah, and I don't have. If I got to pick one, I'm going to Tri City. Yeah, exactly that
0: track. So if this isn't a situation where, like in the West, it's like okay, it's a just an absolute gunfight. So you know, I I in that sense think that even if they underperform from their past performances, they still aren't in a position where they're hopeless.
1: Hmm. I'm thinking that through, but yeah, no, I, I'm so hesitant after all we said. So they'd be like, Oh yeah, they're probably fine, but no, honestly, probably are. It's not. Yeah. It's a a good time to have a bad year in the Frontier League East.
0: Exactly. Like that's not to say that there won't be some surprises there, but like first year professional manager, whatever the Jackals wind up doing, I don't think they've announced their manager yet or
1: to be honest, I'm not 100% sure about their manager situation in Sussex.
0: Yeah, that a conversation. Yeah,
1: maybe we can follow up on that next
0: week. Yeah, so that's three open, uh, kind of question marks there. Three Rivers has their own issues, and thus that kind of again leaves you with like, okay, Quebec, Rockland, and then like Bobby Brown's Ottawa team is like the real competition there, and like even the year where they really kind of scared Quebec a bit. It took them getting really hot in August to get the job done and get in and then make that run. And that was just more or less a team that was the hot hand and gave Quebec everything they could handle. And Quebec handled it. So that's not some sort of insurmountable thing. And just to clarify the point of the West, the West, Evansville seems to be pretty much a playoff team at this stage. Schaumburg, again, seems to be pretty much a playoff team in this stage. And then Washington usually is a postseason team. They just had a down year. So you can say from that org, if there was one organization in the West that would find what happened last year completely unacceptable, Washington would be that organization, so don't count on another year in the dumps there. So you have that. You have... Gateway, who was an extremely strong team last year and just, you know, the postseason didn't go their way, but pro season's is such a crapshoot in baseball. That's, you know, that's going to happen. Uh, Joliet, who now has new ownership. Maybe that spurs some sort of difference there. Lake Erie, who showed at points in the year that they could do something, but ultimately weren't good enough to stack up. And then there's, well, Windy City, which they're going to keep trying. So, you know, the West would be a much harder road to climb
1: on. I think that's fair. Um last one I'll say and we won't even discuss just a quick answer on this one. Yeah. Are you taking right now to win the East Division, Are you taking Quebec or the field? Quebec. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like i even put that over under at like three and a half games at this point. Yeah, I mean like they're just like, so good. A, a three and a half game uh you know, gap over them the rest of the division.
0: Because they're just so good. And, like, New Jersey was a very good offensive team, and they managed to go from abysmal pitching to league average to a – I didn't even call it, like, at points above league average, but on a whole, pitching wasn't going to hold them back. I'll, I'll just phrase it like that to keep it quick. And Quebec was kind of like, okay, you tagged this gun on the one weird rain delay game. Now we're going to finish this. And then they kind of, you know, took them over in the playoffs. As far as like regular season goes, I mean, Quebec basically handicapped themselves the first five weeks of the year. And then we're like, oh yeah, by the way, we're just about to go sicko mode now.
2: And
1: I mean, literally, I'm a, yeah. I mean, I'm about to tweet it right now. It's like looking at the Frontier League East, the, First team behind Quebec that has like that has I think improved at least somewhat or even held even to last year finished nine games behind them <laughs> because Jersey Sussex and Tracy all have question marks yeah and they got the boulders finally like damn dude yeah
2: and, like,
0: and you know what like to help the case here and again, then we'll actually go into the other Frontier League news story. So that way we don't run too long because we have a long
1: interview. Yeah, because I got to wrap this thing. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm looking at the Tri City schedule right now and I got to be honest with you. As far as difficulty goes, there isn't much here that says like problems. The one asterisk attached that is it's assuming New England is not like, crazy good assuming like our whole previous five minute long conversation holds true then yeah it shouldn't be too much of an issue for for them to Mm -hmm. make the post yeah all right so uh other piece of uh, frontier league news uh chowder heads they're no more because they've (laughs) changed their name
1: hang a banner baby undefeated run for the brand
0: I'm not sure they never won a game, though. So that,
1: Never asked. Just asked if they lost.
0: Fair. Chowderheads got knocked out, one could say, because now they are the New England Knockouts. They have changed the name of the team. Uh, the official statement, which is in the show notes, in case anyone cares to look, cares to read it, you could go there or you could just go to the Frontier League websites there. But we made it easier. You know, go to our website and click the link too. That'd be cool. But uh, in the statement, said, Although our soon-to-be fans voted in favor of our team being called the Chowderheads, we heard loud and clear from our partners and others from Boston through Providence and all the way down to Hartford that we might be missing a key opportunity to name our team in honor of our host city, Brockton's storied history of producing some of the most talented boxing, producing some of the best boxing talent, rather, in the world. Undefeated heavyweight champion Rocky Marciano, alongside Marvin or marvelous Marvin Hagler, who was trained by the prolific Brockton boxing trainers Pat and Goody Petronelli, were synonymous with the sport during their respective careers, and were proud to hail from Brockton. We would be remiss to not acknowledge that. So we changed the team name. So we changed a team name that salutes the city of Brockton, acknowledges its role, defining their careers and dominance in the squared circle. That sounds like a lot of talk for, we realized that the box lacrosse team was going to be a problem.
1: Yo, as like hesitant as I was to body bag of the Greg Taggart situation, (laughs) what are we doing? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, and there are a few moments where I will sit back and be like, why are we not running a team, dude? Because we will, we sat here and we we're like, Brockton, that's a choice. Yeah. And then we looked at the name options and we said, honestly, Childhood's kind of cool. Knockouts is probably the best option. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you can't possibly do Childhoods because there's already a team with that name with a different spelling. Literally a pro sports team. <laughs> and I did that in one Google search. Yeah. And then they chose that name. I said, well, I'm sure they've addressed that. I'm sure they've figured that out. And uh, like I was, I said, I was like, I'm a little bit surprised. But I'm sure, you know, they've handled it because I think I'm trying to find my exact words. I think I said, uh, I mean, they're professionals, I assume. I assume they Googled it with like a sort of like, because they'd be idiots not to. I have addressed this already. Um And here we are getting bodied by a box lacrosse league, which I've said before <laughs> off the pod. I'll say it on the pod. Box lacrosse is biggest letdown of a sport because lacrosse is exciting and it's fast moving and then you put it on a small field it should be even better and they just like walk and sub out every change of possession embarrassing and then it's on hiatus and they still put that whole brand in a body bag the wasted money the wasted resources we've talked about before that they this felt rushed and obviously it is What are we doing? I I tweeted something, I think, about a week ago about, like, it feels weird that Chowderheads don't have a website. When you Google them, you still only get the lacrosse team. Like, what is happening? And then, So this isn't a surprise, I guess. It's just a surprise that we are in 2023, and after all we've seen, we're still getting people who are not qualified starting up organizations. Like, I've heard about this ownership group being better, whatever, but, like, put an adult in charge put someone who's done it before the reason that i'm more confident in gastonia having a successful stretch of years here is because they actually have from what reports are a real owner coming in who knows what they're doing and who has launched other team brands and knows how to operate how is this a pitfall how is this something that you deal with like that's what. For, sorry, if I'm a little head double on this. One. I'm, no, I'm mad I mean, like the thing is, though, they had podcasters got it. How do you miss this?
0: <laughs> like that's the thing. Like they used an ownership group that's already in the league, and like our exact wording was "Chowderheads" is by far the best. It's the most minor league baseball name possible, and you could sell a lot of merch with this if you do it right. But then, as soon as you brought up the box across league during the whole segment there we were like that's going to be a problem and i was like "Eh, you still roll the dice on it you see if you can't work it out but you have like yeah you probably aren't going to be able to use it but like damn it'd be great if you could and like out of all the other names they all kind of suck and so then when they announced i was like okay well that's the best one and then we both went through the whole situation of yeah but they probably figured it out they probably you know either confirmed that that hiatus league is well and dead and they were able to either you know Buy any sort of the branding or licensing uh, materials they need on the cheap, or it just kind of now is floating in the ether and they're good to go. Or the chowda as opposed to chowder was that much of a difference where they were going to be able to float and skate on it. But we both were pointing out too all along that like it's definitely rushed. You announce in the end of September, then in November you have a name. Put no logo and no website really to speak of and then like you do absolutely nothing outside of like announcing your manager and that's about it there's no real social media presence there's no sort of anything and now this is this is where we're at here and again it's like if we were able to find this and go through like the pros and cons of each thing you would think an ownership group that owns another one of the teams in this league and had a viable brand already attached to the city would have been able to see all these problems coming. But they didn't. And here we are. And now we're in a position where we have to change this at the last minute. There's still no logo. So there goes any remote shot of having Christmas sales, which I got to imagine impacts ticket plans, merchandising, an overall general appearance. And we're at the stage where we can't just audible off of this team for a year, because again, it would be three years of a traveling team, and it's such short notice that we got to go forward with it. Now, that's not to say that just because you have to change the team name early on, everything's bad. I mean, I think we all could collectively agree it would have been in everyone's best interest for, say, a Atlantic League team based out of Kentucky to have audibled out of their most recent name change early on, so that way we cannot have the abomination that is the counterclocks. But still, it is indicative of you couldn't do the branding correctly. (laughs) Then why the hell should we think that you're going to do everything else right? And it also kind of speaks to me here that you opted to go for what's essentially a Can-Am league vet that was coaching D3 ball. Like, I'm not going to disparage the dude for what he's done so far, but like he hasn't coached pro ball. And
1: There's just, a long tracker track record at this point of failures for guys who jump right into indie ball managing. Yeah. It's just so much to take on especially when teamed up with a new organization without any internal real real significant internal guidance on how to do this.
0: Exactly. And like yeah, sure, some of the guys that are running this team, the knockout team have experience running the Brockton Rock Summer League team, but managing summer ball and coaching summer ball and running a summer ball team is so vastly different from running a professional team that plays international games. Like, just I mean, straight up, the visas alone are a totally different thing.
1: We're about to have an interview air with the person who was the first, like, employee outside of owners hired by the new team in Oakland. And what do they do? They grab a baseball operations guy. Yeah. With experience. Like, yeah. what? I don't know. Yeah. It's just, if you can't, it is science. There are a few, <laughs> there are a few mistakes you can make that simultaneously broadcast, not only are we not good at handling the largest of details, the broad strokes details, we are also not good at handling the small details because we couldn't handle the, what it takes for a Google search and some backgrounding and going in the proper order of getting things done. We're assuming that's what the order was. I'm sure if pressed on it ever, they'll be like, no, it was because we wanted to pay tribute to the community and the local boxing history. Okay oh great we know what happened here yeah like it's just
0: and it's one of those uh, things too where it feels like the original name got announced because they're like yeah we're pretty sure it'll be fine and they had a deadline to meet and they're like all right just run with it and if it's a problem we'll deal with it later and then it became a problem Mm -hmm. and it's like well boys if you already missed the deadline not the end of the world, just to kind of ignore it and miss it by a couple other weeks and make sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. <laughs> like being two weeks late on a deadline is way, way better than having to just like reverse course less than a month after announcing your branding.
1: It is Imagine troubling. how difficult it is and how many things you need to go right for a successful brand launch. And to like after failed teams in the area to illustrate legitimacy to the fan base and then have this happen. It's like, I hate to say it. I mean, all right. We, we ended the last talk on a little over under Um and a little bit. What do you think? Do you think in three years, is there a team? uh So we'll say off season after 2026, is there okay. a team in Brockton, Massachusetts for the frontier league?
0: Opening day 2027 is their team in Brockton, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm inclined to say yes, just because I think of it like this. Gastonia didn't pay anybody for, like, damn near a full year. Mm-hmm. They lasted for three years. So, like, could they get through three years? Yeah, I think they could. Now, if you ask me, are they a stable and healthy organization in three years? That's a very different question. Um, if I had to put it, if I, if you were asking me to set the over/under number on the amount of seasons that they play in the Frontier League, I would probably go five and a half as that number, assuming that this is a sign of larger things to come, which, quite frankly, everything so far has kind of given that appearance.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: So, uh I will just curtail it with one thing, which is to say this could honestly just be a genuine mistake, and they could have actually had a large amount of pushback from local businesses as they were trying to get those kind of like marquee sponsors for the billboards for the in-between innings things like that and they were really like hey we would be a lot more apt to go for this if you could throw a boxing connection in there. We don't want to have like this kind of joke like juvenile attachment to our team. That could be it, but I don't know. That that seems like trying to help them out here.
1: I just think it had to come down to the fact that there's already a professional sports team that even if there is no legal issue, which I, I would be surprised if there isn't.
2: Yeah.
1: There's already no sports team that comes up when you Google your team name. Mm-hmm. Like that's a tough scene. And honestly, they have a pretty good brand. Like I like their logo. So it, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's an uphill battle either way. I think that I don't see a world where that isn't it. As yeah. though it's surprised surprise and that was what they chose.
0: The last thing for me is just that first line in the press release where it's, although our soon to be. Fans voted in favor of our team being called the Chowderheads. So acknowledging the majority of fans wanted Chowderheads of the options they were given. Mm-hmm. We heard loud and clear from our partners and others. That's what gets me. Because that implies to yeah, me I that don't... it implies something here that they had outside pressure to
1: change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like maybe I'm making a mountain really of the read memorial, but i don't, I just don't really read too much into the whole name because or the whole I mean the, the whole statement about the name because I just I don't see any reality where this wasn't just based on the issue there's already another team with that name
0: I mean like that's the thing though I think that's entirely it though that they are the others yeah okay that. fair yeah. I see you okay yeah My bad. Like, I feel like that's their way of kind of like Casually putting out there, like, yeah, you know, uh, our legal people are telling us that maybe we should reconsider this. And the others in the community are saying, hey, until you have that legal thing about the name cleared up, we can't make a financial commitment to you because we don't want to have ourselves attached to this. And it'd be like June 30th, and all of a sudden, hey, we got to take down all this branding and all of these pamphlets we hand out in-game and all of these posters that are up all over Brockton that has, you know, key sponsor logo next to Brockton or New England Chowderhead's logo down because as it would turn out, uh, there's a court order saying we're not allowed to use that anymore because of copyright infringement.
1: I mean, and the other thing too is we've been so verbal already about saying this. Yeah. And I've seen a couple New England shout ahead I'm sorry, New England knockout uh <laughs> staff yeah. members. I genuinely mistake on that one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh that are actively on Twitter during the same window and none of them even in our DMs yeah. dropping a correction or an FYI. It's it's one of those things too. Yeah. Where it's like, I mean, we're Basically putting out there, like, dude, this is what happened. And for the, no one to even be like, actually, and like even try to sell it, it's kind of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, we're on here.
2: The
0: Pioneer yeah. League, because they have a tryout. <laughs> nice. In fact, they have two of them. One in February, one in April. The February one, February one is from the 9th through the 11th. Don't forget that date. Uh, and then the other one is from April 16th through 18th. First one is in Daffinport, Florida. Second one is in Scottsdale, Arizona. There'll be a 12-person draft at the end of the camp. Yakertech and Baseball Cloud Analytics provided to all players in attendance. You have to be over 18 with less than three years' experience as a pro, as defined by the Pioneer League. Link to that in the registration link in the show notes on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Travel and lodging is not covered as a standard for these types of tryouts. The overall cost is $600 to attend. So think of that what you will.
1: There you go. Go baseball.
0: All right. So we went ahead, reached out, got a hold of Tyler Peterson, the assistant general manager of the Oakland Ballers. He came on, talked about the Ballers a bit, talked about the East Bay community. And really went ahead, went into some detail about why the branding was selected, what they're hoping to accomplish, what's defined as a success, what's going to be defined as a long-term success, and really anything pertaining to Oakland baseball, and really talking about what losing the A's means to the community as a whole. And honestly, I thought it was a very good interview. I thought it was a very strong interview. And uh, I think it is rather insightful uh, for a lot of people. And answers at least a handful to most of the questions we had going into this and that we discussed a couple of weeks back when we were talking about the announcement of the team and kind of shed some light on some of those areas.
1: Yeah, I was really, um, <laughs> full disclosure, I, I was going to reach out to Tyler. Um, and, Hey man, you're a pod. I don't care where to reach out to. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I did not do nearly as much back research as I probably could have before asking the question about his availability, but it really did turn out to be like a great person to talk to about this because not only is he a local native, um, you know, an A's fan growing up, um, he's on the baseball operations side. So he has the, the unique perspective of somebody who's trying to build a baseball team in this unique environment of, um, a new team in a league with um, you know, it's already its own like roster complications when it comes to uh, the roster restrictions. And he's also on the media side. So he sees the, the branding and marketing strategy going on. And he's been in very early in the process with Oakland and the ownership team. So he had a lot of very cool insight on just about every side we could really get into with him. Even the few things where he was kind of like, well, I'm not quite ready to give that away quite yet, but you'll have to keep watching. So I'm really glad that we brought him in and turned out to be a good call by me. Um I, I am, just point that out because uh when you make one good call out of every 10 calls you gotta you gotta make it loud so i'm just gonna say good job ryan way to follow your instincts and not do nearly enough research until right before the interview
0: see that's why ryan's on this show he's just so goddamn humble so we need that to keep humble and
1: firing shots endlessly baby
0: yeah so i I guess without Any further ado, we'll throw it over to the interview with the assistant general manager of the Oakland Ballers, Tyler Peterson. This week, we welcome someone to the show that is no stranger to the Pioneer League. It is the assistant general manager of the newest Pioneer League franchise, the Oakland Ballers. Welcome
3: to the show. Tyler Peterson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's yeah. been, uh, it's been fun to interact with you over the years. Nice to finally sit down.
0: Yeah. Appreciate
3: you taking the time out of your day to come on. Obviously very busy time
0: getting a team, uh, up and running. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of questions about, uh, Oakland, the team itself and, uh, everything in between. So I guess we'll open up with the, the obvious question of what was the draw to bring you from uh, Rocky Mountain to Oakland?
3: yeah so i was approached by our owners the oakland owners yeah. um right at the conclusion of the rocky mountain season so okay. i was with the rocky mountain vibes uh, i was working as their director of baseball ops um and we had a really successful season um with a great group of players we made the playoffs for the first time best record best winning record um or sorry, first time with a winning record during the season and we got bounced from the eventual champion raptors and yeah. pretty much right after that like the next day um i got a call from brian who's one of the two uh, co-founders and he was telling me about this idea i knew i had heard that it was you know sort of being bandied about in in different operator meetings yeah. um, in fact the first time i remember i had uh we have these weekly operator meetings in the Pioneer League. I missed one week um late in the season and I jumped back on and someone was talking in the meeting. They're going, Well, you know, with Oakland, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what are they talking about, Oakland? Hmm. And to me, I thought they were talking about like Oakland County, Wyoming, like some place I had yeah. never heard of. <laughs> yeah. So I I texted my GM and I go, What do they mean by Oakland? And so he's like, It looks like it looks like they're talking about an expansion team in Oakland. And the first thing I thought was Good God, the bus rides, um, yeah. which actually will not be a problem yeah. because we will not ma- be making any bus rides um, out of the state. You'll okay. be flying. But yeah. um, I was approached by, by them, and this is where I'm from. I'm, I live in the East Bay. I'm, I'm a lifelong East fan, uh, yeah. lifelong Bay Area sports fan, yeah. and this this is my home. So it was an opportunity for me uh, to come back home, which is great in a, you know, yeah. in a full-time capacity. Um, and the, the more I had a lot of questions, first of all, because I, I didn't know who the founders were. I later found out that they're both guys who are from the East Bay, who are ace fans, who are doing this, um, almost, you know, in, being inspired from the cell movement with yeah. what's going on with the A's to start a team. So I understood the, the vision as they explained it to me, uh, the scope. Um, that they wanted this to be something that uh, w- would be in Oakland for a long time. And for me, it was a matter of, well, this is an opportunity for me to affect change in my community. And not knowing how I felt about a new team coming in, because uh, the A's haven't officially left. And yeah. if there's anyone that can screw up what's happening with the Vegas negotiations, I would trust... the the brain trust of the ace to screw it up. Um, So who knows? But I knew that, listen, this was going to happen with me or without me. And I thought this would be something I would want to be part of, something I could influence. And and like I said, have a a positive impact on my community as being part of this. So that's how I got onto the project. And officially I came on October 1st.
0: Oh, okay. So it's definitely been in the works for quite some time here. And uh, it was a very well-guarded secret then uh, that it took yes probably till like two or three days prior to the announcement for us to even find out like okay there's going to be some sort of major
3: announcement from the pioneer league on tuesday and like we I was fought hard to find that i was yeah, very impressed was. with the amount of people that were involved and had to be involved beforehand to make sure the launch was success and for everyone to kept their mouth shut um it was really amazing that that everyone sort of kept it under wraps um, so we got to have the kind of impact on the announcement that that we wanted
0: yeah, no, it it definitely worked out because seeing the community involved local government involved everybody involved in it it really made me think like okay this has a really good chance of succeeding if you have local government on your side you have obviously a large movement behind it that's always a really solid building block to go from so I suppose the question is, what's the long-term outlook here? Obviously, we're going to talk a lot year one in this interview, but I do want to know, like, what's the plan here to go year one, year two, year three? Like, let's just talk the first three years, like long-term outlook with this community behind you, assuming everything goes well.
3: Yeah, assuming everything goes well. The first, thing, the the easy thing for me to say is, yeah. I don't know. Now, the more uh, fair. Very the fair. more uh, pointed answer is, year yeah. one. Um, you know, whatever we have year one will be, you know, a temporary yeah. uh, facility. So look at Laney College right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a one year old playing surface turf, really okay. nice.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, Laney College was going to be where the A's were going to have their COVID site. So okay. it's uh, it, at one point was determined to be, you know, of quality enough that a major league team was going to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a minor league stadium, so. Yeah. We are going to have to bring in um, a couple thousand seats. Um, you know, create some fan experience areas, whatever it might be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to bring it up to the standard of, you know, something around. You know, what what the other Pioneer league teams have. Um, I was working in a stadium last year that was a AAA stadium and sat yes. eight thousand five hundred. So you know, we're not going to get to that kind of yeah building in year one. Yeah,
0: very very different yeah. dynamic. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and we're going to have a lot of things that. You know in year one we have to be able to say okay that is a year two thing or that's a year five thing like yeah. you know, we have to figure out what has to get done now between um basically december and june which is yeah. a very aggressive um timeline um but we also have folks who are very aggressive themselves and wanting to get this done and, and having that support um, and you know the thumbs up from not just the local community but the local government and everyone that we have to sort of check yeah. off and, and make sure it works um it we, we shouldn't have really any other problems other than just making sure we hit our timelines yeah. but if you're wondering what years um you know let's let's just say two through five look like yeah. it could be a lot of things i mean what 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 does a permanent baseball stadium for the oakland ballers look like Um, I'm not sure yet. It could be a lot of things and, you know, the, the A's situation, how does that tie in? What, what is going to happen? You know, are they going to be the Vegas A's by 28? Um, they, right now, that's the earliest they can have a stadium done. Um, what, what is their, you know, at least in the Coliseum? I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about as far as, you know, what things look like right now. Luckily, I don't have to think about that. Yeah. Um, so my my main issue right now is putting on uh, the yeah. field a, a team that um, yeah. that we want to win a championship in our first year, which is a long, uh, a, yeah. a tall ask anyway. Yeah. But for the folks who are going to come to the game who are used to Major League Baseball style of play, yeah. we want to try to get as close as we possibly can with how we recruit.
0: Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that player end of it because I do wonder, like, being in Oakland kind of being far away from some of the other divisions or all the other divisions and teams, uh, so the one sister team that's going to be coming in there, um, if that's going to be some sort of an advantage to have for playing, like, home games if you get to the postseason and playing home games there, having that travel advantage, that's definitely something I want to get into because I, I'm curious to see how that's going to work because that's got to, be, it's got to be interesting there because... I guess it's actually a fair question to jump off of because now it's coming to my mind. Are other teams, and this may not be something that you're really able to answer, but are other teams able to fly into Oakland? Because I assume flight's going to be the main option here for Oakland traveling to the other teams on their schedule that are not the other
3: California team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this information is out there um, okay. in order for this to work, that, yeah. you know, the they other have teams fly. have yeah. to fly in. And that yeah. this is part of, you know, we talk about, an agreement to have a team in California. What kind of associated costs come with that? Yeah. Um, the ability to make sure teams can come here um, yeah. is something that that you know falls to us. As something we need to you know make sure that, that can happen. Um, I think you saw with the Pioneer League's Pioneer League's announcement yeah. that they are um, looking at a Pacific West division,
2: yep.
3: and that is something which I don't know how long it will take for that to become a real thing but you know in in that scenario um there would be less flying in you know yeah Uh, but for the first year um we are going to be playing a lot of games in california that's for sure i think if you look at our schedule we have 30 games against uh team 12 and i gotta be careful just keep saying team 12 when i'm talking um but we are going to make i believe right now five Flying road trips. We're going to bring in um, probably about the same five or six um, away teams to here. Now, I think there might be a team or two that will elect not to fly. I'm not sure why, um, because you know I I don't see why. But um, yes, the answer is yes. The the other team will be
0: All right. So that must suck if you, have the jet, if you have jet lag and then have to go play a playoff game afterwards. That's eh, going to be fun for some
3: teams. But Well, I if think if you're talking about competitive advantage, the one yeah, thing that I than, think yeah. that we have the competitive advantage over is we play at sea level. We don't play at, oh. if you think about yeah, think Rocky about Mountain,
2: yeah.
3: Rocky Mountain is 65-31. It's 7 feet 100 yeah. higher than Coors. And that was something which, when I was thinking about building a team, I took yeah. into consideration. Yeah. I'm taking consideration the elevation of zero now. I mean, we have a, a estuary that runs right past Laney College. We are yeah. probably the, one of the closest teams to the sea without being Oracle Park. That's uh, yeah, at, um, yeah. Across right on.
2: Yeah.
3: So you're going to see a team with a lot of uh, speed, defense, and pitching, because um, we think that we can be we can actually have an ERA under five in the Pioneer League for the first time ever.
4: There you
0: go. That, that's a lot for me to to think on. I'm going to toss to Ryan so that way I'm not just having dead air. So Ryan, why don't you take it from <laughs> there while I chew on a Pioneer League team that's at sea level?
4: Yeah, that is actually a very interesting thing to point out. Uh, my number one thing that I was thinking about with that was uh, I did get a lot of feedback from guys on other clubs talking about uh, you know they're excited to just they know for a week they won't have a bus ride, so that's a win for them. So it's you know there's some benefit for the teams yeah. traveling to Oakland. But um, also it's interesting, i I'm thinking of the selling point now of a, a practically long ride list season in the Pioneer League if you're playing in, on one of the California teams. But that's a different conversation entirely. What has piqued my interest is that Pacific West division that you're looking at. Um, how much is already filled? Like, How is that going to work this year? Are you able to talk about that? Or is that still sort of being kept under wraps for now? Um, uh, cause I'm thinking, is that getting its own section of the standings or is that sort of playing within both divisions? Cause a two team division does seem like a, a quite an arrangement. So I'm just fascinated how that's going to work from a baseball perspective.
3: Well, I think what that, that, that is a, uh, that's a future project. I think is what is what the, the league. Okay. Now.
2: Yeah.
4: Okay. I wasn't sure. Cause I'll be honest, league's Wikipedia already, has got. Penciled in that, that West. So I wasn't sure how soon they wanted to get that into uh, sort of
3: effect. But well, I think you're uh, looking at the first two teams now. Um, yeah. And then if you're, you know, let's, let, let's, let's talk conjecture. And I can talk about this freely because the great thing is I don't know. So I can, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can say things and, and not get in trouble for them because I don't know if this is what's going to yeah. happen or not. But um, you look at the West Coast, you know, if Oakland team 12 you know are successful um and i don't even know if it necessarily is predicated on on our success but uh that pacific west division could be uh you know four to six to eight teams only on the west coast and therefore not necessitating flying travel to the mountains um i don't know where the league is going to take that um i think the idea of that is something that they're interested in i'm pretty sure the league will go divisionless this year okay. um okay 12 teams that that is my inter- my current understanding i don't know if that is
2: okay you know that makes- what
3: what what is happening but my current understanding is that we're going divisionless.
4: okay okay that does track is again i'm yeah far, are we- way too far back into the baseball logistics than most well-adjusted humans would want to be <laughs> but I was thinking about how uh, are they going to, because they can't split the two teams out of the same division. So it would have to be some serious shuffling if they were to go that direction. Part of it, I was like, maybe divisionless, but I don't know. The, uh, that, that would make sense. It's fascinating. The, I know, you ref. I was going to say, I
3: I know the, the, the the three division scenario has been bandied about as well. Um, I, whether, whether it's, you know, my own, you know, being, too much into my my books and my work that I should know, or I just don't have the most updated information available to me. Um, I know that both the three division uh, setup was talked about, but you know to maintain the halves, that's a little bit harder to do. So we are going to have the haves system, and it's a system that works well. And mm-hmm. so I think from what, everything I understand, not like this is any big breaking news if, if mm-hmm. it's not out there already, but I think the, the divisionless setup is what we're looking at.
2: Okay, mm-hmm.
4: that actually answers multiple questions so hey nicely done with that one uh, whether that was breaking news or not I yeah. appreciate the clarity there uh, you mentioned a couple times already like you know if there's a successful year one or assuming all goes well um, what you know when when you sort of game this out what does a successful year one look like what what both in you know is there a set of goals already established or you know some boxes, That they're, you know, the organization's hoping to check, and from the baseball uh, operations side, how much does that involve you, and you know, putting uh, at least a product that is recognizable to people who maybe haven't seen indie ball uh, at this point. Uh, Just there's a lot to be balanced there, so I'm wondering really where the priorities lie and how much weight is being put on certain things.
3: Uh, I think success for Oakland. is success for oakland right mm-hmm. so if the city succeeds in our first year if the fan base succeeds in the first year then we're going to succeed um we have you know great community partners we have a great uh, team which the oakland roots are a soccer team which also played in lane college um for a number of years and they're very community-centric um, a lot of the notes that they hit are ones we similarly want to hit i've been to roots games they're they're a ton of fun we want to bring that same kind of atmosphere, um, that fans are used to from something like that, or really from the Coliseum to our ballpark. So if, let me put it this way to you. I think we know what the financials are going to look like after year one, and we're okay with that. And, and our mm-hmm. success is not predicated on, on the dollars and cents. Okay. And we're not, listen, we're not really in the dollars and cents game. If, if, you know, if it was, You know, both of our co-founders are from the East Bay. I'm from the East Bay. Don Wakamatsu is from the East Bay. Our managers from San Francisco. Uh, our, um, some of our uh, part-time employees are from here. We're all invested in in making this a success for the community. Um, and that'll come into its, um, come into ways like, uh, youth baseball programs, other things which you don't normally associate with independent baseball. Um, we want to operate this differently. Then I, I think more along the lines of of what a major league baseball team does with community partnerships and, and and things along those lines than what an indie ball team does. And if our co-founders were two guys who saw Oakland as uh, you know a, a great opportunity to put a team there to make money, we probably wouldn't succeed, right? If it was just two guys who aren't from the area and don't really understand how this place works or what people want, but they are from here. They are part of, you know, the the, the bigger, um, I guess, movement you can say within Oakland baseball. And we've had baseball here since the early 1900s of the Oakland Oaks. And we're trying to, you know, continue the legacy of baseball in Oakland. Um, and there certainly is a narrative around Oakland, whether it's baseball or politics or however it gets into that that we want to push back against because we don't think it's fair. Um, and we do think that this city uh, is a, is a, it's a very prideful city with a ton of culture. There's more languages spoken in Oakland than any other uh, single um, uh, area in the United States. So we, we want this to be uh, successful for the community. And if it is, I think that speaks to the long-term success for me. We have to win. We have to win because right. we don't, <laughs> it's, it, you know, one, I'll beat myself up over it, which, uh, you know, I'll hate to do, but, um, we have a community that, that is dying to have something to cheer about. Uh, and as an A's fan, I'm used, almost used to losing now in the last couple of years. And a lot of folks sure. are used to losing. Um, we want folks to get used to winning. This is, you know, a, a place where our parents grew up with the A's winning three straight World Series, being in the playoffs every year. The Raiders always in an AFC championship game. That is the Oakland that, that our previous generation was used to, and that's what we want to bring back.
4: Mm-hmm. And it does seem like, and from what you're saying as well, I mean, it might be a, a city of fans that maybe have been hurting for some love from their teams for a long while. But it definitely seems like one where, if and you can correct me if if I'm simplifying a little bit, but if you show them love, they'll show you love back for the most part, and that hundred percent. That's not everybody. There's, there's playing markets where you can be as good to them as you want to be and they will still pretend you don't exist, which boy, high school flashbacks. But, um, the, the definitely, that's why I at least, you know, it's always daunting with a new organization, but that is where I saw with Oakland, like at least like this makes sense. It just at a ground level of this is a fan base that would, you know, return good things to an organization that shows them good things and the love.
3: Maybe you guys would know better, but I mean, the A's are the only team I know who have like, um, I don't know what the right word is, but like almost like unionized fan groups, right? So the Oakland 68s, like almost like soccer ultras. Um, I, I can't really know any other NLB team that has fans who, who have fan clubs like that. Um, and it was super important for, for us in the, in the pre-announcement, uh, days and months that we already, Engaged with them on on what would make this a success, and once we knew that that this is something that they would back, um, I don't think we would have been able to do it without without their support. So, for us, I mean, there's things like a fan bill of rights. There's a the question of what is the role of fans in sports um, at large. Um, that you know, there's some sort of you know, almost sort of strangely you know, so, so you know, societal questions that are sort of being answered with this baseball. Season. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it, it is about that, though. I mean, that, that is the core of why we exist. We, we exist mostly because uh, the fans took a uh, took baseball into their own hands. They sold out the Coliseum on a reverse boycott. They have this movement that inspired our, our co-founders to, to start the team, and, and that is the, the avenue in which we will sort of operate this team. Um,
4: and I'll kick back to you in a second there, Nick, but you yeah. just reminded me because you talked about it. What is, I think, an extremely noteworthy point of, you know, turning a profit and the amount is not exactly what is seen as success or fail for year one. And how it's not, this is not a money focus start to things. But what did catch me in the announcements is, uh, it seems like a unique ownership structure, at least funding structure. It seemed like there's a lot of different parties who have backed this. And I don't know how much is financial backing and how much is, you know, just, yeah, I support this. Um, but would you be able to sort of any of the unusual you know, arrangements that make up this sort of ownership group or um, where the, the backing for such a, an undertaking is coming from? Would you be able to sort of enlighten us on that one? Because that's one where it was mentioned offhand, but it, at the time, that was not the interesting part of what was going on. So nobody really focused on it.
3: I might be able to, um, because I'm not sure that I have too much insight into that part of it because that was, you know, uh, pre Tyler days, let's say, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I mean, I think when, when I, when I talk about finances, we, we certainly believe that this is, you know, not just going to be a great baseball team for the community. This obviously will be a business that we think will be, you know, uh, like any other startup, you're going to have to spend money to make money. Right. Yeah. So we're. You know, eventually this, this will be a, uh, um, a highly investable or however you'd like to put right. that. Business. I am not a money guy. I don't know what the terms are. Uh, you know, so you're fine. We'll just we'll, we'll <laughs> leave it at that. That made sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, you know, what, what started with, with, with two high school friends, Paul and Brian, um, as co founders, they, they did a lot of legwork to get, um, get folks involved. Um, I don't know exactly the people who are involved, but, um, it, it, a lot of people who are local, a lot of people, um, who, you know, companies, I, I think, you know, it was put poetically sort of doctors and lawyers and grandmothers, mm-hmm. uh, on the announcement. Um, and, and I, I don't know those people personally, but we, we want this to be that sort of a setup. We, we, we will eventually, um, announce how fans can get involved with uh, crowdfunding to be owners of the team. So these are the things we want to do as part of this. Again, giving fans um, and folks who want to be involved in that kind of capacity the ability to be. Interesting. All right, that's definitely going to the unique side, but
4: I I like that there's at least while there's an understanding that year 1 might not be the year where everyone's like look at all the money we've made it's more of a year of investing in the community and what's going on that this does seem to be structured in a way where there will be a successful business as well with this baseball team
3: absolutely and i think the the real point i want to make is if if we were concerned about how much profit we were making in year 1 then i think we've already failed um mm-hmm. because then i i think if we would not be true to what we are trying to do um and i think rather seeing it as the reality and having actually having guys you know paul and brian who have had very successful careers who have done startups who have you know started and sold companies and all this kind of stuff that i don't understand um and they uh, i was you know it's funny they uh i was their first hire which which you know i was very honored about but um they were told more or less from the league, make sure you get good baseball people in. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I was a baseball person, which I thought was uh, funny. Hey. But I, uh, you know, they've entrusted me and Don and Micah to handle the baseball, um, the creative side, the business side. Um, it's being taken care of. We're hiring uh, our our general manager, um, I believe, extremely soon. Um, I'm not sure exactly when this will come out. It might have already been announced by the time this comes out, but um they're they're full steam ahead on on making sure that you know everything on the the business end the facility and the um you know anything that doesn't have to do with the on-field product is is being taken care of and gotten great support
4: nick do you want to jump in with anything or yeah i thought you you were gonna gonna let
3: me just let this thing spiral because i'll do
4: it
0: i know yeah i was just on for the jack kelly interview i remember but more more back to the point of talking about oakland uh for generally just the discussion around the city and the team itself, it feels a lot like the culture around this team is almost that of like European football, where it really is a community based effort It is a community team and a team where the community will have the largest say more so than some of the people that y- you would think would like key decision makers in the organization that the community is going to say, we would like to do this and that's going to be really a response to it. And, I, this is probably the obvious question, but was that kind of the the goal in mind from the onset, where it's going to be, all right, we saw what the A's did to this community, where they just kind of said, we're going to do what we want, whatever that is, you're going to have to live with. And you said, yeah, we're going to take the the opposite approach of that. Uh, this it's, uh, may be a bit of an obvious question, but was that kind of European soccer
3: mentality almost like the way uh, it was planned from the start? I mean, that, that's not a bad, uh, comparison, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, what, what we saw they did. To, they did it to us. Yeah. You know, they did it to me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh-huh. you know, I didn't have to try to understand what someone else was thinking. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, ex- extreme, uh, where, where yeah. I, um, try take my, my own hands and, and, yeah. and try to do something else with it. But, yeah. um, do you know that the A's have not held a fan fest in years? Like there is no, uh, it is. there's no fan engagement yeah. at all. Uh, on on our side so yeah. this this was gonna be fans first it always was gonna be yeah. fans first um the fans you know don't want things dictated to them they yeah. they wanna you know because i think when we think about oh it's gonna be so much fun and we're gonna have this section and the fans can do this here and the coliseum yeah. is is cool and like yeah. if we told fans you're gonna be crazy over here in this section you know it, it's for yeah. them to decide what they want to do Um, when we talk about like, when you talk about European soccer ultras, those kind of fans group, but the Oakland 68s, like that, that is our version of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're asking, is it going to be like that? Yes, I think so. Um, have you guys ever been to the Bay Area by any chance?
0: I have not. I can't
3: say I have. No.
4: Okay. Not for any time other than like work, essentially. Yeah. Didn't get to experience it.
3: it, it, I mean, we are, you know, among other things, like I was saying, one of the biggest melting pots in the country. You know, we have a lot of uh, cultural pride out here. We we love things that, you know, we can support that support us. Um, you know, we've got, um, I grew up with, you know, a ton of folks um, demographically that, you know, I've lived in Idaho and Colorado the last couple of years. So yeah. those have been big changes for me.
2: Yep.
3: Um, and, you know, servicing a, a place like Oakland and, b- and building an organization around Oakland is it, really different the way you want to structure it. Um, it is. It's more than just a, a family night out. It is actually something of of civic pride for for Ace fans, and for and now for B's fans.
0: Yeah, I was going to yeah. say it's a real. That actually <laughs> kind of brings me right in. My next question was, how was the uh, branding really decided? I'm not sure uh, how much you are when the branding was decided on but Baldur's always just kind of struck me as an interesting name. It's not really what you'd expect from a from a sports team necessarily be called. I imagine there was somewhat of a desire to be able to have that kind of shorthand, like athletics as A's, ballers as B's. I imagine there was some thinking like that that went into it. But I'd be curious if uh, you knew anything about the decision process for branding wise, uh, if you could go into that a little bit.
3: Yeah. So I'll say first for for the, um, we'll start with the name. Yeah. So the name um, is actually a personal story for, for Paul, Paul Friedman, okay. one of our founders, um, and Brian as well. Uh, they, they were toying around with the idea of, of bees. They, they sort of had the idea of that, um, from everything that I understand from what they've told us. And, and there's actually a couple articles out there that, that go into this, but I'll, I'll just tell it again here. Um, Paul had a friend, I believe his name is Bobby Winslow, who, uh, he grew up with and passed away, uh, right after college. And so, okay. uh, he had always called himself a baller and was like, Paul was on us that he referred himself as a baller. So
2: yeah.
3: um Paul's actually named the team in his honor. Oh, okay. Um And it, it's sort of very well tied in together with the fact that if it wasn't be the ballers, it could also be the bees. Um yeah. So it's got a personal touch for Paul. It's got yeah. um, a, obviously a very recognizable community uh, touch as well. Um yeah. As far as the, the branding around it, um, we've got a, a great designer. I don't know if you ever seen the Warriors town jerseys, um, which yes, were I have. Yeah, black with the trees. Yeah, tree. so yeah. I was designed by a guy named Dustin Callen, who um, we uh, we got to design our our bees logo. So okay. you know, it was someone who uh, knows the area and understood what what we're trying to get out of this. And so that's that's where all of our branding comes from. Otherwise, was um, one of our local um, sort of big time designers around here. So. You know, it, it's funny because on launch I was expecting about you know half people to say oh this is great this is awesome about half to say you yeah. know this is not a major league expansion franchise what do I care yeah. um, and really it was really like 98 and a half to one and one and a half of okay. this is awesome and then some guy who I also understand who's like yeah. hey this I don't want a minor league replacement and that's yeah. fine and I think you know the the, the, what we're trying to do is serve two kinds of people. One, the folks who have now rejected the A's because the A's have rejected them. We, mm-hmm. we can be a new team for you. And also those folks who see, kind of like I do, that, that a, as a as a family crest of, of growing yeah. up and going to games and you know, doing with your dad or whatever it was, and you can't really let that go. Well, what we're asking is just for you to make space in your heart for another team that, that loves you back. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I definitely get that. Still, I, I get that sense of having your team kind of gone and then going through many, many years as a Mets fan of incompetent ownership and management. But, you know, Ryan, the Phillies fan is shaking his head going, yeah, I enjoyed
3: those years. But
2: regardless, one thing, actually,
3: if I could jump in, one yeah. thing I find funny on that note is yeah. when you look at the Bay Area, there's only one team in its history, really, of the current teams that was born here. And that was the Raiders. Everyone else is some, you know, from somewhere else. Giants from New York, A's from Philly, than Kansas City, Warriors yeah. from Philly, Sharks, Minnesota, North Stars. I mean, whatever it might yeah. be that the Raiders were sort of only the ever Oakland team. But yeah. if you want to talk about, um, how much yeah. each one of those teams means to the area now, yeah. um, it's like ripping out the New York Yankees to us. If they were going to move to Hartford, Connecticut or something. Yeah. But this, it's that's kind of same feeling now for us. Yeah. And I,
0: yeah, because realistically, it's not like geographically that far, but it's also far enough where it's not your team anymore. It's discernibly not your team anymore. It's just the process is really the heartbreak there. And I guess the heartbreak is really what's still generating the emotion that really makes you
3: know the response you've gotten so potent uh, to the announcement of the ballers. Yeah, I think you see, one, I think you see the fans reacting to something that, hey, this, this is something that'll love me back. This is something that I can grasp with both hands. Uh, I'll give you guys just an idea of how a fan feels because I, I am that fan. Yeah. Uh, my, the last A's jersey that I have with a name on it is from, I think, 2011. It's Josh Willingham. He was there one year. Uh, he put up like 20 and a hundred. I thought he was going to re-sign and be with the team for years and it turns out he wasn't um but that's how long it's been since i've been able to buy a a jersey with a name on it back with any sort of confidence so fans want something they can hold on to the second part of that is um i think with what you saw with how many articles written about the team that i kind of get the feeling that whereas most journalists need to be objective there are a lot of people out there that wanted to write a positive story about oakland that really wanted to um, jump on this news in the light that, yeah. and I'm, this is conjecture, yeah. they weren't really feeling the A's going to Vegas and, and seeing this yeah. story as a positive story for Oakland was something that they wanted to write about. So, you know, for any of the of the dozens of, of articles that got written about us on launch, um, I was surprised with both the fan outreach. But also, sort of, the, the national outreach and the international outreach. Um, okay. There's a, all of a sudden, there's a, a Spanish Ballers fan account and a UK oh, yeah. Ballers fan account, which we didn't create, I'll have you know. So uh, <laughs> it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah.
0: Is there any German counts yet, or is that still, uh, still far out? Not up? yet,
3: but I will be able to use my college German to speak to them if if they so choose to um, get involved. Oh, that's, huge for the that's squad. <laughs>
0: It's it's good you mentioned that because like I saw that on the LinkedIn too. I was like, oh, should I ask him to do the cold open in German or is that asking too much? <laughs> just...
4: Man, should have endorsed the idea. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, I will say, I mean, it, and we've joked, I think, on previous episodes about like we need a positive podcast, like because yeah. it, it, a lot of indie ball news tends to not be spectacular because. It, uh, I mean, basically, I hope I explained to people is like, you know, things going according to plan isn't newsworthy. It's things going okay. off the rails. So, uh, it was actually a bit of bit refreshing and slightly surprising just how universal the positivity about it was. I mean, I'll say like there were hesitations and concerns, I think, from everyone, but I think that's more or less because that's just it's a new team man. like there's always going to be that um but i don't think anything about it really was like about the core idea of it and that, that was pretty interesting i'm also pretty active in some fan groups for just baseball in general which tend to have a pretty aggressively negative slant And just whenever something comes up it's not every time but when something is there to be negative about they'll go that way and that made its way here and nothing was negative there so it has been really well received and that's interesting to see um what are you is there anything in particular i guess because you did talk to how you want to give back to the community and show love to the community uh, obviously winning helps and having a team they can be proud of and i'm not even gonna harp on that too much because i know yeah it's probably occupying so much of your mind um but i guess away from the field a little bit what seems to be prioritized here i know you mentioned uh, down the road some things like you know they can have Uh, an ownership stake or what have you, but um, is there anything immediate that is seen as like the priority? Like let's show, let's open the doors or let's show like who we are or or where is, I guess, point one for trying to meet people where they are as the Oakland ballers.
3: Um, So I think that part we sort of have done in, in August and September um, having um, some, you know, meetings with community, having meetings with, uh different uh think of the right term. community stakeholders is a good term um and so understanding what kind of positive impact we can have within the community so i think if you want to look at the easy like road to travel um urban youth baseball is one area in which major league baseball has put a lot of priority with the rbi program among other things um right now you know could what kind of a a way that we can impact that today in in year one can we have um community benefits like you know ballers club team uh youth teams there's a lot of things like that and and other ways um that we want to get into sort of giving fans and giving the community at large a, a chance to interact with us a chance for us to interact with them um Probably a lot of stuff which we haven't announced just so that we can understand what is year one stuff. What is stuff we, we want to do, but we probably don't want to, you know, sacrifice this, this, our, our, um, our, our time and efforts on them in year one, knowing that, you know, we, we, we've got to launch. We, there's things we have to do by June the 4th. There's things we have to do by May the 20th. We, there's things we have to do before, uh, let's say March the 1st. So, there are priorities we want to put in place for some of that stuff. This is a long way of saying, I'm not really sure right now what will and will, won't get in there. Um, but, but you're going to see, you know, with some announcements, I think we'll have them in the next few months, uh, different programs or different, um, uh, activities that are going to sort of speak to, to what we, we want to accomplish, um, long term with, with, with the, with the program.
4: And I feel like we've gotten a little a big picture and uh, you know down the line on some things. So uh, I'll bring it back to sort of your wheelhouse a little bit more here because um, two things I'm, I'm curious with, and, and I'll start because we already discussed it a bit. Is number one the ballpark? Um, it, so I guess it's not fully on the baseball side, but it's baseball adjacent. <laughs> I guess we will give it. Uh, what is uh, you said you're going to there? There's a plan to bring some stands in. Is that? sort of, I mean, what is that even, I, I can't think of something similar to that, like, you know, build, bringing in stands or bringing in areas for people to sort of congregate around a field that doesn't have a, a large capacity. So uh, are you able to sort of preview anything that's going to be coming to the college and, and the, around the field? Or is that something that's going to be rolled out in a more dramatic way that I shouldn't be trying to translate on our podcast?
3: Um, it might be rolled out in a more dramatic way. Um. The way I want to answer your question is, if you look at Laney College now, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not built in its current structure to host a a minor league baseball event. So we would have to build it up so that Mm -hmm. it can. And I think that's the the vague way of answering that. Um, so whether that is expanding capacity from what it is now to, let's say, 2,500 fans and, 3,000 altogether and again that's that's me pulling number a little bit um, but we will have to um, you know p- part of you know Laney you know once once everything is you know set in stone so that we can take action on it um, part of what Laney is 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 a field that is used by um, Little League it's used by multiple other colleges it is a junior college itself. Um, it is a junior college in the heart of Oakland. The the use of it and building it up in and of itself is part of what we want to do as as a community partner, you know, right. to create a space that that can be used, can be enjoyed day and night. The lights at Laney were were put in so that, you know, teams can play from from ten to ten, you know, if it's your if it's your local little league or you know, or if it's your actual your junior college team. So um, it is used by the community um, more than even sort of I, I, I realize it is. So when we talk about you know building up landing, it's just a matter of of getting it to a standard that um, what folks might be used to. Because right now we actually aren't sure if we even with our current plans have enough seats to accommodate folks with the kind of um, response we've got. So it's a matter of okay, you know what exactly is this is going to look like year one for fans, how many can we accommodate, what is um, reasonable within our timeline, you know, and then off of that is, you know, whether we make decisions now or down the line, um, you know, building a more permanent home, understanding what that looks like. Um, I think, you know, with the larger area, I would imagine a, a permanent home would seat something closer to, to a stadium like um, Rocky mountain rather than a stadium like um, uh, Missoula per se um just because of our of the size of our I mean other than the Chicago dogs or um, uh, I mean Chicago or New York teams yeah. we're gonna be the largest uh, market in independent baseball or the tenth largest media market in the country so you know we are gonna we will we will want a stadium eventually that can accommodate that type type of interest
4: okay that Makes sense, and I will uh, allow for things not to be spoiled in the podcast. Fine, fine, fine. But okay, that is good to hear. At least there's that sort of forward thinking element too. Um Nick, do you have anything here? Because I'm gonna, I'm going back to baseball. I'm making my way there. I I got back is to the way stadium, downtown? almost to the field. So I, I'm going. But before uh, I'll, you know, Nick, do you got anything that you want to kick in before I start diving down that rabbit hole?
0: You know, I did. And then I started to check something to make sure that I wasn't asking a dumb question and then I forgot the question itself. So I'll let you go down the rabbit hole while I try to recover my question. And uh, hopefully it won't be dumb and it'll be worth the wait.
2: (laughs) Thank you.
4: Oh, damn. That was it, man. All right. Uh, So, I mean, I gotta say, this is not really the big, you know, welcome to this baseball operations gig that many people would love to be like, congratulations, we have no roster. I understand that there are teams in leagues that basically do start that way just as a choice, so it's not like it's not done fairly frequently within the indie ball circle, but you have quite a challenge here, and I'm sure you've managed to hear, and and you've already mentioned, you know, you're I I know, I've done baseball operations, you're tied up in the result and the potential future results and you have the Oakland ties, there's a lot in it. Um, But trying to push a lot of that uh, stress out what has been sort of the list of priorities what does that even look like for somebody who is put in a baseball operations role that is literally okay find player number one I mean I can't even my for me I was like this is I love baseball ops I've been around it and then my first official baseball ops job we already had a roster and I was still like this is a lot to deal with I had to sign like 20 guys and i was like this is a lot to deal with so i can't imagine really where you're coming from
3: so uh i'll start with this so when i took over in rocky mountain Mm -hmm. we were close to the same situation not fair not not zero players but Mm -hmm. we had just finished the season where we had uh finished the monclova deal Mm -hmm. we had a number of players uh at the end of season we had we had our own roster of twenty-five. Mm-hmm. So we didn't start with zero. We had a roster of twenty-five, but the idea was that when I took over, we were going to more or less start over fresh and create right. from the ground up our, our first team, our, our first chance of an off season to create our own team. So um having nothing uh actually didn't really put me off because it gave me more of a clean slate to work off of than than usual um i think the first if if you want to sort of take it through timeline where did i start first well i I started first with pioneer league free agency which which began on october 15th so um there were a number of guys who i targeted um you know having just been with the vibes in 23 uh and including the rest of the league that we were interested in um, I think you've seen some of those guys who we've announced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I started initially. And, you know, as, as Don and Micah came on the project, um, we were able to use their amazing networks to not just procure talent, but also check in on talent. Because if, let's say, X player played at this level, well, I can use Don and, and he can, uh, check in with a, a scout on that team and you know he with the amount of major league organizations he's been with um as a player and as a front office executive and as a, a as a coach it's uh, just one it, it gives so much um uh credibility to, to what we're trying to to do with with don um and his guidance is amazing um mm-hmm. because i feel like he knows everything and you know, <laughs> he and i and micah we, we probably talk three times a day, um, since since we all got on the project. Um, but it is it's fun and it's fun in the sort of way that I took the Mets and MLB six the show to the World Series. It's that kind of <laughs> fun, right? Yeah. But I think but I don't I don't treat it that way. Um, because you know when I was when I was in twenty twenty one with the, the Chuckers, um, I rode on the bus with them every day, and you know, I was on these 12-hour bus rides, these guys who, you know, n- maybe none of them were going to get to a, a, an affiliated uh, team. You know? Um, yeah. we, we tried, and there were some really good players that never got a chance. Um, but just understanding what that grind is like in independent baseball, uh, to understand that, look, everyone, y- you're probably uh, an amazing player all through high school, you probably were all conference in college. Now nobody wants you at twenty three, twenty-four. You come to a town you've never been before. You're playing in front of people you don't know. You don't know if you're being seen. Uh you get on the bus, you drive eight hours to another state you've never been before. Um, you know, I, I I try my best to make sure these guys are taken care of. So I was doing things I'd never done before, like booking hotels and booking buses and booking food and and doing things as a travelling secretary in, in twenty one that um, you know, my goal was to just make sure these guys are taken care of, and so that is what informs me now on on how to approach players, how to talk to them, knowing that it's this is not fantasy baseball. What this is is, um, and sort of the part I don't like like about it at all is you know really almost having these guys' lives in your hands, and you know they're they're trusting you, and you're trusting them, and it takes a mutual commitment to make sure that this is the right thing for them, and you want to make sure. That this is something they want to do and they want to get into um, whether it's their first year out of college whether this is their third year in indie ball um, you meet guys who are all over the spectrum in their baseball career journeys so that is you know how i approach each player you know for me baseball operations is, is just an offshoot of another type of communications which mm-hmm. is what my career really is and it's just a matter yeah. of conversation talking with people understanding what well, we can offer the player, what the players want, something that was very important to to my operations in in Rocky Mountain was our ability to create video and create video with TrackMan data to send it to clubs to get guys seen to get scouts um, in in the stadium, and we were very successful with that. We didn't have it in season signing, but we were very successful at getting guys' names out there, um, and that's one program our our player marketing program, which we're bringing to which I'm bringing to Oakland um, as sort of the, the flagship um, uh, program for for us as far as what we do for our players, because I really think that there's a lot of resources out there that independent teams can um, can hook into um, if if they have someone like, like in my position, I mean, my, my role is is more or less bring guys in and then to move them up to, to major league organizations and right. i know that does not exist um anywhere else in the pioneer league and you guys would know better about the other partner leagues but i really don't know how many other teams across the partner leagues have someone in my role or even don's role that are just hired um for the baseball ops portion of the front office um so i mean we can talk about players specifically and how we source them but as far as sort of our how we go about it that's more or less how we go about it
4: the number one thing i, I was thinking about too was uh just with again looking at empty roster it's got to be so tempting to do more of the um like uh i'm looking for the word the uh, the show where they used to, they would let you loose in a grocery store and you know oh, just, oh yeah. just clearing shelves yeah, yeah. And, and being like yeah we need one get two of them sure um open up a storage container see if there's any Molina's in there I'm with you but like I, I it is good to hear and it is sort of I'm sure it's almost got to be almost a, a forced mentality to just say yeah there's a lot of open spots but they'll get filled with the right people and they need to be the type of people who we are helping them as in ways that they are helping us as well and sort of meeting in the middle and find that common ground so is that like I guess player first in a lot of ways. I mean, player first, it, it has a lot of connotations to it. I mean, that makes it seem like you know, you don't care about the end result. But I think if you seem to have an understanding that player f- putting the players uh, at, at the top of your mind will yield good results.
3: Uh, I I think that's that's certainly a, a fair um, reading of that. I think um, when when you look at an empty roster and you think i'll say this so when i was with the vibes we I, I don't know that i was taking a much different approach in the off season than i am now but the the start of the, our season in 23 we went 10 and 20 um we were eight games under and we finished the season uh in the second half 12 games over um, my mindset and how I'm approaching this offseason is, is different. I know that. Uh, and we're building the roster differently than we tried to, um, in 23. And again, this is a collaborative effort. I am by no means True. just, just, you know, being capricious with, with what I do. Um, like I said, I'm in conversation with Micah and Don every day. It's Micah's roster. He decides who makes his team. It, it's my job to, you know, um, Eva- uh, not evaluate, but identify potential talent. And with Les Lancaster and myself last year, we had a very similar relationship. Um, as he was as the manager in Rocky Mountain. So, what we do is we take a more targeted approach. We we're, we're taking less um, speculative chances right now. I think what you're seeing with our roster building efforts is because we want this to succeed now in oakland if i was somewhere else if i didn't have as much connection i might feel different but because this is really going to matter we have to have slam dunks now so when we're being targeted we're we're, we're targeting folks with 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 starting roles in mind i don't know that we're going to have more than say 32 guys at camp um we're we're, we're targeting guys as as contributors, um, and we we can't really afford to make too many mistakes along the way because we've got to get out to a hot start first. Um, I think you, with some of the early signings, you're going to see guys who have, um, uh, either proven track records in college, um, have, uh, you know, bring some sort of leadership quality to the table, um, have performed in the Pioneer League before, um, you know. Guys along those lines. Now, there's a lot of guys who are, um, sort of buy low, high talent, high, um, potential kind of guys that we probably will miss out on. And we, and other teams will re- reap the benefits from that. And so that, that could be, you know, something which will pass us by. Um, but for, for how we're approaching this now, we're being extremely selective with how we go about this because we, we feel the pressure from ourselves, more or less, to make sure that we are a success from day one.
4: Interesting. Um, sorry, I'm sort of taking all that in, because that's... Um, typically, talking to baseball operations people, they say <laughs> uh, something along the lines of, well, you know, you want to get out to a quick start, but, um, you know, we'll see how it goes in the beginning, and then kind of adjust from there. So it, was, it got my attention to, to hear you say, like, no, we need to get off to a fast start, and um, and how that affects the roster building, uh, and especially in indie ball, where there's a lot of, you know, we'll see what kind of comes our way and go and to see someone just aggressively shooting for, you know, starters is, is kind of refreshing and also uh, a little fun well, thing. The fun, the fun thing
3: is too is is whatever media training most folks have. I'm just a broadcaster. You know, they put it like I said. They put a fan in charge. Uh, I like you know guys. I like. Like, when, when, I, when I'm talking to players, I, I more or less tell them, hey, like, to be honest with you, like, like we don't have a spot for you. Like, we don't. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, I can I'll try to get somewhere else. Like, it's it's not really this, um hey, we'll let you know kind of thing. It's, look, this is where we are. These are the guys we've signed. I don't think right now that that you have a spot. And I wouldn't want to bring you to camp because... We, we think these guys are better. Now, someone can always surprise us, and that's the great thing about the Pioneer League Tryout Camp is we have, uh, the extra spot from it. Um, we are going to have an opportunity to see guys that we may have, you know, passed up on, but, um, we, uh, for me, I, I find that a lot of guys respond better to me just being honest with them and, and trying to help them out, um, rather than, you know, saying, Hey, it's really interesting, you know, we'll, we'll keep you on file, we'll let you know. Um, I mean, we, we've taken a lot of information um, from guys. We have probably about 120 emails in my inbox from... And I'm very glad I made a players at OaklandBallers.com account for the website because now everyone has one place to go and we take their info, we put them into our system and I can sort through them. Um, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, I have all this information if a player reaches out to me, I'll just be honest with them and we can go from there. But, uh, what we're doing is, is, is trying to, um, and Don and Micah know what they're looking for too. Right. So they're going to have, I think, a, a higher standard too anyway. Um, and they may not be as aware of, of, of Pioneer League sort of standards uh, as I might be. But I will also say this for the Pioneer League. Um, I think you've seen the talent pool get better and better each year, especially now mm-hmm. with uh, Major League Baseball organizations cutting 15 more players before the start of camp this year. You're going to see the talent pool uh, expand even more so. Cause that's you know, 400 players, something around there. Right. That'll mm-hmm. be cut. Um we, The league is trying to position itself as what it was meant to be, as that post-draft league, as something that is there for rounds 21 through 40. Um, that guys can go and, and become, uh, you know, have that showcase for themselves, um, where where they would have gotten overlooked otherwise.
4: Okay, um, agreed. Definitely have seen the the quality of play get better in the Pioneer League. Um, just that is uh I, the baseball operations side of my brain is spinning. So I guess the last thing I have on the baseball side, and I'll kick it back to Nick if Nick wants to wrap things up. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen, uh, it does jump at me that of the major indie leagues, you are the, well, you are one of two, uh, but currently basically one of, you are the only indie team, uh, out of the major indie leagues that is in California. There's obviously a a lot of talented ballplayers in California. Have you seen that as a benefit or are you hoping it will be a benefit down the road or you think it's just going to come out in the wash?
3: Uh, you mean as far as recruiting California talent?
4: Yeah, having a leg up on maybe some of the other people. Cause a lot, I, you always see, I mean, in Lexington, we'd always have a couple UK guys or people out of Lexington, but the talent around Lexington baseball wise is not quite what it is when it comes to, you know, a wide range of California and the sure. Bay Area.
3: So, uh, yes. So we are, we personally, we are putting a huge emphasis on having local talent. So, one thing which sort of is guiding me right now is a not fully imposed, uh, self-imposed homegrown rule. So mm-hmm. similar to, uh, let's say, European soccer, where you have to have, or even actually, I think domestic soccer has this too, where you have to have a certain number of players uh, from your home country. Um, I am sort of building our roster with that in mind. So you might see five to eight players on our roster from the Bay Area. Um, As far as our ability to recruit California players, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, Guys do want to stay here. Um, If they're Bay Area guys, I think the question is, um, do I want to stay hyperlocal or do I have the ability to play at what they think is a higher indie level? For example, if they have an option to play in the American Association, do they take that or do they stay here, make more money? um, And then uh, also, you know, play in front of a, a fan base that is, you know, uh, just ravenous for some, for some good baseball. Now, will our ability to, to sign players be better after year one? Yes. Um, as it was recruiting to guys before launch was an interesting experience because we sort of had to tell the guys, no, I promise you will exist. Um, and I promise you will <laughs> exist in 24 and not 25. Because what most, most teams do is they advance, you know, announce a year in advance. They tell you where the park's going to be. They, you can watch it slowly be built LSM, but we're, you know, we're, we have to play in 24 because of the situation in Oakland, right? So, um, I think after year one, or really what I think is once the season starts and people get an idea of how, how much resources we are going to put into our project, our, our media, um, the kind of um, visibility we're going to be able to give players. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, for the first time ever, for me working in a baseball uh, city, we won't need scouts to travel to come see us because they're already here. So that really helps what I'm trying to do as far as um, not just recruiting tool, but, um, you know, part of my evaluation is, is how successful we are at moving players up. So right. that is... Uh, that is something to which I'm really looking forward to once the season starts. And then I think you'll see, um, once there's more general understanding, not just of us, but of any ball in general, I think people will understand this is not a last chance sort of league, but more of a first chance sort of opportunity. Once you've played your four years at, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee State or, or Chapman University, whatever it might be, that, okay, I didn't get drafted. Well, now I go play indie ball. Um, the, the analogy I was trying to use for folks who sort of didn't quite understand indie ball was um, if you watched the Welcome to Wrexham documentary, um, I think Wrexham in that documentary was non league. I think they were their fifth tier. Yeah. yeah. So you. Yep. you probably couldn't tell me about Hartlepool or Mansfield or any other teams, but you <laughs> knew about Wrexham. You yeah, probably right. didn't know whether Wrexham was Premier League or not, but you knew about Wrexham, and that's how we want to be, is you might not know what the Pioneer League is or really any ball in general, but you know the open ballers, and that's the kind of string we're trying to, to pull.
4: Yeah, I was going to use that comparison, kicking myself now. That's um, what started my I,
0: whole European soccer thing from earlier. I was like, you know, this feels Wrexham. I,
4: I thought so. I, okay, I lied. I got one more, then, but you can keep it short. I just uh, want to get out there. How would the Dondre Hubbard signing company come along? because seeing him leave Missoula is interesting. Is it because of the franchise player rule, which if, for those who don't know, that allows uh, the Pioneer League teams to sign one player whose eligibility would have run out typically. Um, so he fits that category. He was last year's batting champ. So it was a big signing right off the bat. Um, how did that come about? Um, was it he was Missoula didn't have a spot for him, or was it that you were able to sort of entice him over?
3: Well, Missoula used their franchise player spot, I believe, on, um. I think Cody Thompson, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I was going to let, I was going to let you guys say it because I was Cam Thompson, I believe his name is. Um, and you know, you get one choice. I love the franchise rule. Um, first of Mm. all, because, um, is for, for the eligibility going down, I think you needed to have something in place that allowed you to have sort of a either more veteran presence. Or someone who honestly the fans have become accustomed to and, and, uh, you know, can relate to and able to see year in, year out a little bit more. Um, I watched Andre in 21 with Grand Junction. I watched him in 23 from afar, um, because we didn't play Missoula when he was there. Um, but really the way that came about is he, uh, he has a personal connection with our manager. And so mm-hmm. when we were looking, uh, players, I had to inform Micah that Dondre actually was ineligible. And then we started thinking about what, what would we have to do? And so the, our stipulation for that, since we don't have players is he has to have ties to the Bay Area. Well, Dondre started his career here. He started in the Pacific Association, war 24 for Willie Mays. And so we thought, well, that's it. That's perfect. He's got the Bay Area ties. Um, so he, he's also going to be. One of our assistant hitting coaches, uh, which is going to be really okay. cool for him. So he's going to get his first coaching role in the Bay Area, where he also started his uh, playing career. So he'll be an assistant hitting coach uh, under Micah as well. And I expect to see him in, in the lineup every night and, and doing what he did in Missoula. Um, and, you know, he was the kind of guy when we said, you know, what's going to be our first announcement, we're like, well, it's got to be him.
4: It's a good thing to build around.
3: You got that right.
4: Okay. Uh, Nick, I'll. Go back to you, and I'll I'll step aside here finally, because we have definitely been uh, talking to his year off here. We're digging into his day a little.
0: Yeah, like I only had one other thing to add because it came back to the thing. But I think we pretty much touched on, it, which was just talking about the caliber of play in the Pioneer League. I know we mentioned, uh, you know, it's supposed to replace those later rounds in the draft, and obviously we talked a lot about the restrictions of being a uh, league for people to start the careers. In which I find it, you know, almost poetic that it mirrors that you're playing in. On Laney, uh, Laney College's campus, a school that was featured in Last Chance You. Now you're the first chance for a lot of other players. So I find that almost like kind of poetic, uh, symbolism there. But I just talking a little bit with the Pioneer League and just quickly going through like the general caliber of play for Oakland fans. Cause obviously a lot of people that listen here, they kind of know the Pioneer League, but I'm sure we'll get a lot of other people that just like they're big on the ballers. They really want to start, you know, following. Indie ball following uh, the Pioneer League. Just uh, what can they
3: expect from that caliber of play? Well, I think, you know, there's, um, you know, we we wanted to, to give fans an opportunity to really learn about what the differences are because yeah. the closest thing fans had for independent baseball in their minds probably would have been something like the Pacific Association, which is no longer existing. Yeah. Um, I don't know that fans know that the Pecos League is a thing that exists. Um, but I also didn't want them to think that 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 was yeah. what we were, um, yeah. which is, you know, more of a semi pro that players don't get paid, that this is professional baseball. Yeah. Um and when the ballers came to be, you know, the one thing that um our co founders knew that this had to be was professional baseball, not a college wood bat league, not something it had to be professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we put out a little um explainer on social media about, right. you know, get to know the Pioneer League. I think yep. that was sort of the, the first step for folks to go, okay, this is what this is. You know, we're we're, we're not going to be signing um, uh, the... When I think of the Atlanta League, I think of Scott Casimir and Lillard Morrison. You know, th- yep. that is not the kind of player we're looking at. We're looking at players who were, let's say, you know, all-conference Division One players who never really had a shot because they were undersized. I'm just, you know, making up yep. sort of a... trick. Okay. So... I think there will be a little bit of a learning curve. I think the the main thing for folks is if you come to a ballers game, that we provide them with the same type of family entertainment atmosphere that people know minor league baseball for. So folks in the area know San Jose Giants baseball. They know Stockton Ports baseball. And they actually, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you actually make those drives because, you know, living in the East Bay, I actually wanted to go see... Um, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner in San Jose, and I did, and I still have a little Posey uh, seven San Jose Giants shirt jersey. Um, likewise, I did the same thing with Stockton. We used to go to a, a Ports game the same way I would go to River Cats game. Like, th- there is a really, really cool ecosystem of baseball in the Bay Area, um, and and we want to be another, you know, part of that. Um, and so I think we want fans to understand that from the uh family entertainment perspective, we will be doing all the same things that you know minor league baseball to be. Um and really the play on the field from that perspective shouldn't be a whole lot different. Yeah. You're not gonna have your blue chip prospects, but with the type of talent that is in the league, we are playing at at about a low A level from everything I hear. Um and, and that kind of play is something that fans shouldn't be all that unaccustomed to. Um the difference between Major League Baseball will be obviously great yeah. um and that's it's not even really something I, I'm, I'm i'm thinking about too closely because i think it's more about fans engaging with us and celebrating more than hanging and dying on every pitch I know mm-hmm. I will be i know yeah. there certainly will be yeah. fans who will um mm-hmm. but i think in this first year what you're gonna see is you know no matter the success on the field you know like i've said earlier our success will be determined by something completely different than than our record. Uh that being said, uh it's gonna be a huge disappointment for me if we don't win a championship. Uh and that that is basically what I when I'm when I'm on the phone for eight hours a day now is occupying my mind constantly.
0: Yeah, definitely. And hey, a championship makes it all that much better though. Might as well add on to that and Obviously, you, you don't spend just eight hours a day on the phone. You also spend two hours a day on Zoom calls with guys like us. So we definitely exactly. appreciate taking the time to do that. Uh, Ryan, if you have anything else left to do, I, I hit that. If not, I guess, Tyler, I'll give you the floor to promote anything you want to promote, say anything you want to say. If we missed a topic that you wanted to get to that maybe we didn't spend enough time on or just, like I said, missed, uh, you can do that. Whatever you want to do with like the last few minutes, uh, you can go for it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I just want to say, hey, like if if there's any folks who uh listen to this and and our ballers fans are want to get involved i just want to say like a huge thank you to all you guys because um but i said it before i'll say it again i was completely blown away um with the kind of reception we got how ready fans were to accept us which i didn't know we were going to have that kind of acceptance from day one um but i really am going to try very hard to make sure that that trust um is not taken lightly at all. And that way it can give you something that you can share about. Um, But uh, that's all I want to say.
0: Great. And uh, as far as if they want to find more information on the
3: ballers, from the ballers? Oaklandballers.com, at Oaklandballers on Twitter, or whatever, X. Um, And then (laughs) at (laughs) Oakland.ballers on Instagram. If I just say X, no one knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, we do it, this every week,
0: too. We're like the twi- the uh, site formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. we always. To it. We appreciate it coming on, man. We appreciate you taking a lot of time out of your day to talk to us. So uh, yeah. thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks,
3: fellas. Anytime. All
0: right. Once again, I just want to thank Tyler for coming on the show. Appreciate him taking the time. To uh, do that, I mean, we took about, what, solid two hours of his time to uh, talk our nonsense, and then the actual interview, that was, you know, insightful and good.
1: Yeah, he was way too kind, way too generous.
0: <laughs> exactly, to deal with our BS, but any event, uh, yeah, we'll have another interview next week. Uh, Jack Kelly's interview is actually up, and you can watch him try to explain uh, analytics to me in, like, the same way you try to explain how money works to a child and just watch me try really hard, but just God bless him for trying.
1: I think that was a great comparison because uh, not only you watch the eyes kind of glaze over, but also you really see them start to lose their faith in humanity as you explain currency. And uh, kind of same effect talking the analytics with you uh, for baseball. So, yeah, no, one-to-one comparison, no notes.
0: Uh, yeah, if you want to throw ahead and throw some plugs on there, you could do that. If not, all I really have to say is, Indie Ball pod on Twitter, Indie Ball report everywhere else. Continue to submit uh questions for the QA. Uh would love to get those so that way we could actually have stuff to answer on the show in two weeks. So yeah, that's my final Yeah. Poll.
1: Um mine would be uh I guess, you know, Indie Ball Nation. Um couple shout outs to uh the score got me that just happened, sixty-three twenty one in the Thursday night football game, terrific work. Uh shout out to the um Lancaster employee or possibly former employee, I don't know where everybody's at on that, who not only shouted out the uh sort of placeholder logo for Gastonia to me, also shouted out the Chowderheads rebrand, rebrand. Um so he's two for two in clutch uh news breaks with me this week. And uh I guess shout out uh to the Rockford Reapers, my new uh out of the park baseball team which I'm using to eat up time where I should be working on things that are productive, but I am not. So good job, Ryan.
0: When are we getting the live stream?
1: I don't know. I'm seeing how this goes. Um, there might be an Indie ball related uh, live tweet type of thing just to gauge traction. Um, and then maybe, maybe a YouTube video. We'll see. But the, the Rockford team is, is a different thing Bye entirely. I, I'm back in the year 1871 with a 13 man roster live Um, stream live stream the spot of the hey if you want a weird weird read okay i'll give you one you can cut it i'll give you one you can cut it uh the where was it it was the i have it saved somewhere because it was so incredibly weird um oh no oh well it was the rockford forest cities was the original team um and there's this great little thing on their baseball reference br bullpen which is like uh how they, they're basically like their history way to, I don't know, I don't even know the best way to describe it. Like how they would just, um, their like history side just gives the background things and about their field. It was talking about how like the Rockford local press would always refer to it as like the, the finest ball field in all the, the country, like hard pressed to find another one. And then, or no, it was Sabre who said this, pointed that out. And it was like, However, like another press person uh, had this to say. The games were played on the fairgrounds, and a poorer baseball field, to my mind, has never been known. Trees in every direction. There was a cluster of five around third base. The catcher was hemmed in by trees, the exception of a space of about 30 by 50 feet. An umpire could not see a foul unless it hit back of the plate or a few feet on either side of the baselines. Between the plate and second base, the train was fairly level, but approaching third base was a noticeable rise, and from third to the plate, there was a depression, and the base runner had to dig in for life. At the edge of the outfield was a deep gutter to take care of water from the quarter-mile racetrack, and why more fielders did not break legs in this trap was because Providence protected them. The bleachers were situated along first base, and the plate would accommodate about 300 to 500. They were made of bridge planking. Dude that you know hey look uh new england could be worse having to drop a rebrand of your new brand is not that bad you could have a drainage ditch in your outfield that only by the grace of god is not snapping legs
0: can we just backtrack to one thing for the last point in the show
1: sure man why not you're a terrible podcast
0: okay fair um (laughs) where's the depression on this field
1: first of all, it sounds like everywhere to me. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was,
1: uh, the, 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 oh, from third to the plate, there was like a noticeable depression. And it okay. sounds like guys basically had like run uphill.
0: <laughs> so that between third base and home plate, there was the depression there. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Glad to see we know where they put their analytics department
1: uh shout out to sam miller's maybe the finest article sam miller ever wrote which was uh if there was a hole in the field like where should it go um or
0: front of home plate duh
1: oh where the pit would go if there was a pit where the pit would go if there was a pit that is the article name look it up it's fantastic
0: well i know one thing this show would be in the pit if there was ever such a thing as the pit. And on that note, I'm not gonna cut that Forest City bit because otherwise this outro makes no
1: sense. Which probably think it was art. Why would you? Why would you cut it? That's a fair point.
0: And just like all art, everything must end. So until next time, do not forget to play ball.